Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Greetings and welcome to the Victorian Poo Plumbing Station. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show's reboot of Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, and I do get lonely down here sometimes. And bullying Luke in his spawn area, I am Ash Versus. This episode originally aired on YouTube on the 21st of November 2021. Call of Duty Vanguard is top of the console charts, Ghostbusters Afterlife is top of the UK box office, and Adele is top of the box. Luke, 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 no one cares. I mean, yeah. We can just stop at the film, because a lot of the people listening to this have been with us for nearly 200 episodes. They know who we are. What I wanted this to say was, Call of Duty, something or other, whatever, Adele, something or other, not care. Ghostbusters Afterlife is top of the box office. We've got it for one week. This is our one and only opportunity. We can do this. What are you doing here in Somerville anyway? Honestly, my mom won't say it, but we're completely broke. And the only thing that's left in our name is this creepy old farmhouse our grandfather left us in the middle of nowhere. Why'd you bring me up here? Entertainment value? What is that? I don't know. Somehow, a town that isn't anywhere near a tectonic plate, that has no fault lines, no fracking, no loud music even, is shaking on a daily basis. Under the dining table now! Hey, remember that one summer we died under a table? I found this in my living room. Whoa, killer replica. A replica of what? A ghost trap? 
There hasn't been a ghost sighting in 30 years. New York in the 80s? It's like The Walking Dead. Your dad never mentioned this to you? It's just my mom. My grandfather died. My mom says we're just here to pick through the rubble of his life. kind of like going off script because it is legitimately number one for an episode of Games Master. They're not going to f***ing first contact us on this one. It's real. It was there. And it's like it's House of Gucci for the other two episodes. So if anything, I'm actually quite happy to just talk about this here and then just pretend that Ghostbusters Afterlife was also number one for those two weeks as well. You mean like we did with First Contact? (laughs) Like we did with First Contact. (laughs) So I rewatched this recently. Uh, very recently, actually, the last week. And it's an interesting film to go back to because I remember watching it in the theatre and uh, I cried at various points during it because here was a film that was delayed due to the pandemic that I was looking forward to and actually going to see this in the cinema was a real point of normality. It was doing something normal, even though we were sat there in a relatively deserted theatre because we also went to a matinee and with people who were masked, and of course everyone was distancing in the seats. But the lights went down, and the logo came up, and at that moment I'm just like, oh, I remember what this feels like. So it was kind of a big moment. It wasn't the first film that I'd seen in the cinema since the pandemic, but I think it was the first one that I was um, anticipating. Yeah, I had a similar thing. I got invited to the press screening of this movie uh, in... uh, I got invited by Cineworld, basically, because they wanted to show off Screen X, which is like their 270-degree cinema experience. And there were like some shots of this movie that were sort of shot specifically for that, like, you know, the shot of the Ecto-1 going through the cornfield and stuff. So what you're actually literally watching is a wraparound screen of watching that car go around. And I've seen that bit in the cinema, and that was that was really, really cool. They sort of showed me that as a test clip. Um, but I couldn't go, and I, and I can't quite remember why I couldn't go to the press screen in the end. Probably kid-related. That's one of, a lot of the reasons. And that's actually the reason why I didn't go and see this in the pictures, is because I just couldn't find the time between work and, and the, the kid to go. This was a period of time when the kid was sleeping real bad, so I couldn't abandon uh, my wife and I you know, wanted to be there and stuff. I couldn't just be like, I'm just going to pop off for four hours just so I can go and cry in a cinema about a film that I love. So, um, you know, you, you deal with the crying child and I'll just go be a crying child elsewhere. And, and so in the end, I did not see this until it got its home video release. By that point, I'd had a lot of things kind of spoiled for me in a way, just because there were some absolute pricks online that... Um, 
hated the ending and therefore felt it was okay to just spoil it and just announce it being like, I'm saving you the trouble of seeing this abomination because now you don't have to, which I thought was incredibly unfair. And actually, after I'd watched the, the the film, I was just listening to a podcast and like one of the podcast hosts just said it. And I was like, I know that's a spoiler, but honestly, I don't care because I don't think you should see this. And I think it is disgusting what happens. And I was like, this is absolutely, this is ludicrous. So I'd had some bits of it spoiled for me already. It did not lessen the impact of that movie in any way, shape or form. I cried my eyes out at multiple points in this. I was talking to a friend about this movie uh, two weeks ago because he borrowed it off of us and just me recounting one of the key points that makes me like well up and cry nearly made me cry just talking about it this film's awesome it's incredible as well because i think it is it is nostalgia pandering to a bad degree but i don't care i usually am really harping on about that but this is the one time where i'm like i don't care that it's nostalgia pandering because it's i like this nostalgia pandering <laughs> When I first saw it in the cinema, there was that kind of cathartic, I need this film. It could have been another film. It would have just been a film that I was really looking forward to that was delayed by the pandemic, and then I finally got to see it. But in this case, it was a Ghostbusters film. And then I rewatched it uh, when I got the fancy schmancy trap set. And I watched it in 4K on the TV, and it was still good. But I was like, yeah, that is really pandering. And I think you and me also discussed, and this is an issue I've still got, which is they lean way too heavily on the Elmer Bernstein score to the mm. point where there is original music in the film, not that you could tell. And then I watched it again earlier this week. I was sat where I'm sat now, and I had some boring procedural stuff up on one monitor, and I had Ghostbusters Afterlife on this monitor. And I just enjoyed it. And I was just like... This is charming. I got some laughs out of it I hadn't got before. There were a few bits and pieces in it that I um, I hadn't noticed before that kind of allude to scenes that we know were filmed but deleted. And it's all these extra bits. And I'm watching it and I'm going, this isn't the best Ghostbusters film. It's also probably not the worst. I would say it is comfortably in my top four Ghostbusters films at this point in time. I think that's a fair place to put it. And I think where it hit for me wasn't even seeing the old gang, including that ending. I mean, I'm trying to avoid spoiling it, but I think almost everyone and their dog on the internet knows. But it wasn't that. That did hit. That did, you know, that did have an emotional core for me. It was actually that moment when you see a bunch of kids running havoc with an Ecto-1 because I was watching going, I wanted to be that kid as a kid that shot of the xo1 going through the cornfields is a genuine like movie magic moment you and i saw the original recently uh on the big screen at the prince charles cinema we went to see the preview cut it was introduced by jason reitman and i think this every time i watch the, the uh, watch a ghostbusters whenever i see the xo1 i'm like that's what perfect design looks like thank god they persuaded him not to paint it black with black lights in a nighttime film. That would have been fucking stupid, Dan Aykroyd. Sort it out. Isn't it funny that it tends to be a lot of the worst ideas about Ghostbusters came from Danny Aykroyd? Yeah, and then someone else reined him in a bit. I I loved the scene in the cornfield. For me, it was actually the later chase sequence through the town. And it was the fact that, you know, there was some CGI at play, but they did also do a lot of those stunts for real with a stunt person sitting in for McKenna Grace. 
and I think some face swaps going on, which is perfectly valid use. It's been used as far back as Jurassic Park for stunt people. And possibly even before that, Jurassic Park is just the first one that comes to mind. But it is that moment of them hair-arsing around the corner with the gunner seat out the side and the proton pack. And I'm just like, this is childhood fantasy. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of really appalling behavior in the Ghostbusters fan community based around the 2016 film. Uh, There was a lot of appalling behavior in the Ghostbusters fan community about the 2016 film when this film came out or when this film was announced. I mean, basically, fandoms can't be trusted. But for me, what worked about this film is it came at a point in life when I really needed a lift and it provided that. And I look at it now and I can see all of the flaws. I can see absolutely all of the flaws. There are a couple of plot holes that that really annoy me that just like a 30 second scene could have fixed. We watched that preview cut of Ghostbusters and there's scenes in there which were cut and why it was cut makes sense. There's just a few little bits and pieces in this film where I think that would just like add a little bit of extra connecting tissue. My brain can make the leap, but it would have been nice to had it there. I I, I get what you mean as well, because I had the when I watched it for the first time, I and someone tweeted me about this because I, 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 you know, I said how much I enjoyed this, and someone replied to me, but like, were you not bothered by the fact that it's just the first film, but again? And I was like, yeah, but it's also sort of the point. I get the argument of why someone would not like the nostalgia pandering of Ghostbusters Afterlife because so much of it, and you mentioned like you know the score and things like that, but also like the plot is sort of the same as well. But I, I, I think it's part of its charm and part of the point of the movie that it is the same plot as the first one. I mean, let's be honest, so is Ghostbusters too. Yeah, and you and I have talked about this before with like Firehouse, which is the the next one. It's for me now. It's you've used this as your base. It's moving you into a new direction, giving me a new story that is not tied to the first one. I don't need things to be tied back to the first one. I just want a new story with these new characters moving forward. So that's my big hope for for Firehouse and the thing that excites me the most about it. I just see McKenna Grace because I just I thought she was so it's the first thing I've ever seen her in, and she was captivating as a screen presence. The most perfect Phoebe there ever possibly could be. And she has the moment that makes me cry the most when she tells her mum that she's a scientist. And it genuinely makes, like, I'm nearly welling up now just thinking about it. It's it's beautiful. She also has some of the biggest laughs, like her, her kind of, like, escalating attempts to tell jokes. Yeah. I thought you were being obtuse. <laughs> Wink. You can tell it was a joke. I winked. Yeah. It got a bigger laugh from me this time than it did before. Yeah, this film was the film I needed it to be, and it didn't do well critically. And a lot of people just said, oh, it's pandering to nostalgia, it's this, that, and the other. And they're holding up that first one as a classic, which it is. But you go back and you look at the press reaction to that first film when it came out. It was not popular. The press did shit on it quite a bit. It was a summer spectacular from uh, the box office more than anything else. That's what made it the hit at the summer. I mean, it's when you go and look at the Wikipedia page and it says it was released to genuinely favourable reviews. It's always my thoughts about it as well, yeah. But it kind of wasn't. I mean, Gene Siskel, who is kind of like a fairly big name up there when it comes to film reviews, praised Murray. Almost everyone praised Murray, but then just said, well... There were boring special effects. Of all the things I would criticise about that first Ghostbusters film, the special effects being boring are not one of them. I mean, that whole proton pack is unique 
and iconic. There has never been anything like it before or afterwards. The closest you've got is basically imagine a lightsaber that is out of control. But even then, it's just such a crazy, uncontrollable force. I love it. The older I get, the less I've got time for Siskel and Ebert. Because like for years and years and years, I kept being told these are the bastions of film criticism. And then every movie that I like, they don't like. And I'm just like, oh, do you know what? I don't think I've actually got time for any of their opinions anymore. Yeah. I mean, Pauline Kael of The New Yorker also just said that there was no chemistry among the three leads. Yeah, <laughs> like, that, because that's famous for Ghostbusters, isn't it? Yeah. Famously, no chemistry between the leads. But the reason I go back to that is because critics weren't wrong about Ghostbusters. Their opinions just did not match up with a lot of other people's. And I suspect Ghostbusters Afterlife will will be similar because there will be an element of fans of the original that did not like it. And there will probably be a lot of people who were fans of the 2016 movie for whom that was their first Ghostbusters that also did not like it. At least one of the cast members infamously raged on this new production when it was announced. But you know what? It doesn't matter just like it doesn't matter if me or you like it what matters is did the broader population like it and in the face of covid and in the face of everything else going on it did well enough to warrant a sequel it's the legacy sequel they kind of wanted to do in the mid 2000s like all the interviews that that Aykroyd or murray or ramus would do would be were always like We'd love to do a third movie, but I really think it should be us handing over the reins to a new group of people. All those years later, they finally got to make that legacy sequel they wanted. And for Sony, and you and I were talking about this when we went to the preview cut, they finally got their Ghostbusters. Because the story of Sony is they had a hit in 84 with Ghostbusters and then ever since then was looking for their new Ghostbusters. Evolution was meant to be their new Ghostbusters. Men in Black was supposed to be their new Ghostbusters. Pixels was supposed to be their new Ghostbusters. The 2016 Ghostbusters were supposed to be their new Ghostbusters. And in the end, Afterlife became their new Ghostbusters. So kudos to them. Kudos to Dan Aykroyd as well, who's been flying the flag for Ghost Call for for so many years. Even before the 2016 movie came out and they'd launched Ghost Call and he came out being like, we're going to make three live action movies, this animated movie, a brand new TV show. And I was like, pump the Ecto-1 brakes here, Aykroyd. You've been struggling for 30 years to make another movie. I think we should, let's try one, shall we? Should we try making one movie first and then deciding we should do more things? Um, but yeah, like, you know, last last thing on, on Afterlife, because we've gone 20 minutes uh, on this before we sort of get into the, the episode proper. I love it. Is it a perfect movie? No, but it's a perfect movie. And that's I and I've I've the two distinctions there. I'm not gonna dive into the whole like fan versus critic thing because I I I I hate that argument with a passion because there's no such thing as a fan or a critic, they're the same person. Uh, film critics are also movie fans, and movie fans are also film critics. It's just some people write about them for as part of their job if you've got an opinion on a movie congratulations you're a film critic there's really no difference between the two of them and like you look at afterlife you'll be able to find 10 positive reviews and 10 negative ones but then people just look at that and be like this got negative reviews and my last note on this entire thing if you like ghostbusters afterlife great if you don't if you think it's tasteless if it's not for you that's also fine if you love the 2016 reboot that's also fine. I didn't hate it. I just didn't find it funny. And that's nothing to do with it being a women. That's nothing to do with the cast. It may be something to do with the director. I don't know. I just watched it and I didn't find myself in 
enjoying it that much, you know? And and that's that's me. That's my taste. But what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to start attacking people over it. Anyway, 25 minutes. You said this was going to be a quick one. Let's crack on. <laughs> yeah, because here we are, everyone. We've, we've arrived at Series 8, the revisit of Series 8. Uh, and this is the first time I have re-watched this show it's the it's the first time i've rewatched this episode since it first aired back in uh late november of 2021 and i also re-listened to the podcast that you and i recorded which by the way was nearly three hours long because we also had the the ketchup and mustard interview in there as well and my opinions really have not changed based on what i said in that the the episode first time round. I've got some, you know, some new thoughts and things. And I think we've got a bit new information about the sort of making of things because we'd spoken with people. And, you know, we had Frankie on the show last week to kind of give us a bit more sort of insight and info and stuff. But for the majority, for the most part, my opinions on this show are still the same. I wish it was a half hour show. I do think it is too long. And I don't think it sustains itself for being uh, as long as it is in terms of interest levels. But I think the challenges for the most part are really good. I actually, the structure of this first episode is basically perfect because you have a winner in the first challenge you have the little vr thing you have a losing challenge you have a celebrity and you have a one-on-one fighting game it is a perfect setup for an episode in terms of giving you all the broad spectrums like you know all of the points that you can hit from uh, a games master episode and i love it for that in the same way that the first episode of series one was perfect because it gave you three challenges with three victors and then in the second challenge, it was like it was three challenges with two victors. And it gave you this sort of sense of like, OK, this is what it looks like to be a winner. This is what it looks like to be a loser. So I like it from that aspect, but I don't think it works as an hour show. And yeah, I like educating Grado. I know a lot of people didn't, but I think it's really, really funny. It, it made me it gave me some of the biggest laughs of this episode. And it's because it is super tight, super well structured, super you know, superbly written because you know, thanks, Rap. He's, we already know he's a good comedy writer. We already know he can write well about video games because, hey, Consolvania, Video Gaiden, The Scots, Bernice Turner, all, you know, his entire history of work up until this point. I have rewatched this because sometimes when I'm working away, like working on fairly mundane tasks, I will just have random episodes of Games Master on in the background. And these have come up as part of that. I think there are some bits of this show particularly episode one which i am fonder of now but there are also some bits that i'm more critical of now and i think also we have this advantage of we're out of the moment because we were fairly hyped because we'd also been to see this being recorded and we'd also met all the people well most of the people well quite a few of the people behind the scenes and we knew that they were gamers and they were hyped and we kind of we got that we got the feeling that, well, at some level, high up, there may have been some people involved that were just going, hmm, monies. There were also a bunch of people who were in it because they were like, well, yeah, we get paid, but also we really want to make a good show. I remember very vividly uh, this period of time and the excitement around our little community, our little Games Master community that we had, our fandom that we had, and new people kind of joining within that who then were changing their Twitter profiles to include on hashtag games master because we were like all in this together and like we wanted it to be this little engine that could because as we kind of talked about on last week's episode 
we because it's our fandom because it's our little community we sort of build games master up to be this thing but in the grand scheme of things it isn't it's actually just a very small little show um that caters to a niche audience that niche audience is larger now than it was uh in the 90s or the early 90s at the very least actually even in the late 90s but it is still a niche and that niche watches their content elsewhere so i was very excited at the time to see like what does a games master look like in 2021 and now like looking back on it here i'm like what it looks like is exactly the same as the original show and that's its great strength is that it doesn't feel like it's trying to move too far away from being games master but it also gives you some new little flavors in there even just little structural things like games master interviewing the challenges before they go up and just some tiny little things here that just make you feel like this is Games Master, but there is a slight new coat of paint on it as well. That if you look close enough, you, you can see the extra bits. No, I 100% agree, 100% agree on that. I would actually say that maybe, and we'll get into this, I'm sure, over the next three episodes, maybe they could have gone further from the source material. Maybe that would have made a difference. Maybe it wouldn't have. I mean, as we stand here in August 2023... Channel 4 and Future are still keen to do more Games Master. What that will look like in comparison to the reboot and the original, we don't know. But neither do they. No. And I'd actually forgotten that this show opens with a poem. Near 30 revolutions of the sun hath passed, some 23 since his heed reared last. Only the brave stand before him, the fearless and the bold, Facing the abyss to win a stick of joy and gold. Resurrection time is nigh. Do you feel your heart beat faster? The hour is upon us. Welcome to Games Master. And I'd also forgotten that our episode, our podcast episode reviewing it, opened with a poem as well. I was very excited to write that poem. As soon as Rab did that cold open, I'm like, oh, I want to do one of those because I love a chance to do something a bit theatrical on this podcast. You remember the nightmare one. <laughs> I do indeed. And I've also remembered as well, opening up my notes from uh, you know the first time I took them to update them into this new uh, Google Doc here, that my uh, Google Doc kept auto-correcting Rab to Rad. So <laughs> my first line here is, Rad opens with a poem. <laughs> I mean, it was a rad open with a poem. Well, speaking of rad openings, I forgot how much I love this title sequence. This title sequence slaps so hard because it's that wireframe from like the series one and series two style thing, and maybe in part of series three, but then like becomes its brand new thing. It is literally like almost like a legacy sequel, giving you something that you recognize and then almost fooling you into liking the new version of this because you've got the i recognize this oh that's new and then you, your eyes are drawn towards that starts with the wireframe moves into a much more big graphical piece and the music is is reminiscent but different enough i think it's so so good yeah it, it's it's a really nice short punchy intro and it kind of meets it hits all those keynotes that you need from a games master title sequence of the classic era as opposed to the dom and mates era because i suppose when we look at it and when we do look back at the past 200 episodes we have three eras we have classic games master which will include the dexter fletcher stuff then we have the dom and mates era which is kind of four on to seven and then we have this the reboot era which is three episodes and whatever comes next when they find a new financial patsy 
And what we might find there is that there's even a fourth edition there, which is then this sort of becomes its own thing. This is its era. And then there's a different era with like, they said on the, as we said on last week's episode, the press release that they were putting out there talks about a whole new look for it. But Frankie was like, I'll find out when I find out. Could be us, could be someone new. No one really knows. So it could be a brand new era in itself. And I think even like series four feels like its own little era, but that's like the figuring out era. It's where like, Okay, I'm going to use a a wrestling thing here. Apologies to our non-wrestling fans. It is 1997 WWF. Yes. Where the the new generation is trying to die and the attitude era is trying to begin. I'm trying to think of a non-wrestling comparison that will work. It's... um... It's like that awkward bit in the X-Files where they try and replace Mulder and Scully. And then they just give up and go back. (laughs) The other thing as well I wanted to kind of mention here, and it ties into what we were talking about with Ghostbusters Afterlife. Um, You might have noticed that I didn't do any TV news uh, from around this period of time. And much like why we didn't do it in the Top Gear episode, it's all fucking bleak. And... I looked at, you know, here what was happening in British TV, and it's just, it's race rows, it's GB news, it's I, I, MPs having a pop at there being a woman Doctor Who, and it was like like Christmas Day. And actually, on top of that, people still like pulling out of things because of COVID. And I was looking, I was like, man, I don't want to bring like any of this up because it's also like just bleak, and this is supposed to be a fun little podcast. And that, what it reminded me then is like almost transport me back to that period in time because I was like, this is the escape. Like Ghostbusters Afterlife was that escape. And it, it was the movie that I needed it to be. This is the show I needed it to be. This period of time, it was a case of I had Ghostbusters Afterlife was out. We had Games Master back. I was still deep into video games because a lot of social stuff wasn't going on. So it was all about things that I found comfortable. And I don't think I was watching a lot of broadcast TV. There was some streaming stuff that was coming out. And uh, I think I was binge watching a lot of Taskmaster. Same here. Yeah, I don't think I was watching a lot of anything else on TV if it wasn't Taskmaster related. It's true. Games Master is back. Back, baby, back. And thankfully... I'm not alone in this attempt to destroy the nostalgic memories of middle-aged men. Please say hello to my beautiful, talented, much more E4-appropriate co-hosts, Frankie Ward. Hello. And Ty Logan. Tom! Frankie, friend of the podcast at this point, Ty Logan, one of our white whales alongside (laughs) Dexter Fletcher. (laughs) I remember when we interviewed Rab uh, about this show and he made the point that he's never felt so old or like he felt so old while being on this set he really works a lot of that into his verbiage that he has on this show because you know he opens this like i'm not just here to destroy the nostalgic memories of middle-aged men of which he is one but so i've instead got much younger and more e4 appropriate host in his first opening link is saying like i don't know why i'm hosting this show either can you figure it out? Really, it should be one of these two. I think that is a, a style of comedy that Rab does incredibly well. I think uh, it's a style of comedy that Dominic Diamond does incredibly well. I don't think Rab's doing it in any way as a tribute to Dominic. I think it's just a case of they both just have that style. And part of that is because of their respective backgrounds. If you look at so many of the great Scottish comedians as acidic and vitriolic as some of them can be, there is always that undertone uh, of self-deprecation, of the willingness to poke fun at themselves. You know, Billy Connolly, Frankie Mm. Boyle, Chick Murray, 
You know, it, it's it's something to do. Possibly it's a class thing. Possibly it's an upbringing thing. Possibly it's to do with overbearing religion, which was certainly part of Billy Connolly's upbringing. But yeah, it's why Rab is a great fit. I don't think you need to be Scottish to be that lead host of Games Master, but I think it helps. <laughs> I think it helps as well. I am the Games Master, and welcome to my power station. Here, I create fiendish video gaming challenges that only the brave or downright idiotic are willing to face. And we get our first bit of Sir Trev as the Games Master, Sir Trevor MacDonald, uh, to give him his full title, perhaps. And when he was announced, there was this like, oh, that's a really good choice, actually. That's a, that's a really smart bit of casting, and that's a really interesting idea. And then you see it in action, and you're like, oh, it is perfect. It's actually way better than I thought it could have ever possibly been. Like, he is one of the best things about this show. His deadpan delivery, like the words that he's given, and you know, the writing that he's given is also really good. But his delivery of it is superb. He is clearly slightly more clued in than Patrick was. But not so much that he doesn't have some awkward deliveries, but the awkward deliveries work like they 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 kind of hit the same charm notes it is it is pandering to nostalgia but just basically pandering to nostalgia just by employing someone that isn't a gamer probably doesn't really understand video games or indeed what he's doing other than sitting against a green screen that that's it and he he is as frankie said last week kind of the perfect choice for a Channel 4 production because he is a face of Channel 4. Well, let's get into our first challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? This challenge is a speedrun of a platform game featuring the world's most famous plumber, Super Mario 3D World. For some, one way to exhibit gaming prowess is to complete what is known as a speedrun, where a player must get from one point to another in as fast a time as possible. In this challenging speed run, the brave soul will have to navigate the level Bowser's Highway Showdown at a lightning fast pace. Not only must they collect 70 coins, but they must also defeat Bowser, all in less than two minutes and 30 seconds. Even though this is 2021, even though we are much more clued in uh, to the video game world uh, than people were back in the mid-90s, it's nice to see the Games Master still here to explain things to us. Because what he essentially does in this opening here and this, this ex the explanation for this challenge is explain to an audience who might not be aware what a speedrun is. It is nice to have a Mario game opening this show. It's a shame it's not one of the classics. I know that it's something that we're very aware of in that licensing classic games could be interesting uh, because Nintendo are like, well, no, but we want you to showcase that one of the newer games, one of the games that we can use to sell consoles, even though arguably Switch Online would have been a way to sell consoles, you know? I agree, but I also feel like it's a smart choice to do it as a new game because it's letting you know that this is a new era. You know, in the same way that like the final episode... The final challenge we have of this is a Tekken challenge in the same way that Tekken was the final challenge in Series 7. But then it was there it was Tekken 3. Now it is Tekken 7. Then it was Super Mario Brothers 3. Now it's Super Mario 3D World. It's the leveling up of this. And it's the old 
but with that new coat of paint on it. So I totally get why you would have Mario 3D World. Even if you had the option of doing Mario Brothers 3, I think doing Mario 3D World is the better choice, just because I think it's more thematic to do a new Mario game, even if I uh, would rather play the original Mario Brothers 3 than this one. Although, from what I gather, this one is a very, very fun game, because it was originally like a Wii U game that gets ported across to the Switch. But it's a, it's a fun game, this, from what I gather. Now, I, I went back and I looked at my original notes and I've updated them. Luke, I think when we recorded this originally, I hadn't played this game. Good news! I now own this game for the Nintendo Switch. Hey! Still haven't played it. No, well, no, of course not. That, that, well, that's what video games are now, right? I feel like video games now are what DVDs were in 2009. You just buy them and just keep them in cellophane wrappers and they just sit on DVD shelves. Whereas, like, it's now, they're all just digital downloads that sit on hard drives in a file that's called To Be Played When I Have Time. Oh, no, this is one I still own as physical media because, Luke, it's cheaper than insulating your house. You just have bookcases lined with DVDs and books and games, and it makes the room smaller, so it makes it cheaper to heat. I see. That's the secret to life, I guess. Um, I mean, the thing that I got a bit of a kick out here is that a lot of this challenge is built around the cat suit. Um, we'll get into that when, you know, when we, we get to the actual challenge itself. But the uh, the new Mario movie, well, the, I say the new Mario movie, I suppose it is the new Mario movie. We did have one 30 years ago. But the new Mario movie uh, has a scene that is all built around the cat suit. And I got a bit of a kick out of that because it just shows that how much it is a big part of the Mario franchise now that in a Mario movie, you felt like almost like, well, we have to feature the cat suit. The cat suit's imperative that we get in that in there. It does also allow for some some kind of fun jokes as the challenge gets underway. But here we are, the first challenge of a new era of Games Master, and our first competitor is absolutely fabulous and amazing. They're someone I follow, and I will quite often have their Twitch streams on in the background. They're an artist, they're a streamer, they're just like this this whole energy and personality. But also, for Games Master fans of a certain type, this was probably a fair old cold punch in the cock because yeah. here we have someone that is very much a 21st century individual and is so welcome on this show from my yeah. perspective. And, and mine too. Uh, if you're a Dave Perry watching this, this is probably the moment that, that you switch off because it's woke enough already in the fact that a woman is there, let alone a person of colour. But now there's a non-binary person. This is all sorts of box ticking or whatever it is the pricks say. So yeah, like this is this is probably the moment when those people tuned out of the show, even before the lesbian couple show up later. Um, but I think it's telling you as an audience, like everyone here is welcome. And I think it is a perfect, that's, that's, this is a perfect opening challenge. Not only is it Mario, not only does Shanghai win, they are here to let you know everybody is welcome in this new era of Games Master. This is not the boys club anymore, and it's all the better for it. Also, much like Frankie, I really want Shanghai's jacket. It's the pins, man. I, I mean, I'm all about the pin badges. They have got a beautiful collection of pins. And like, I think this is a big challenge for them as well, in the sense that, like, when they're giving off their CV, which uh, you know, Gazemaster buries them for, 
they note, and in Rab's interview as well, they are more Sega than they are Nintendo. Like they run classic Sonic games, they run Sonic games, they run Mega Drive games, and now they've got to sit down here and do a Mario speed run instead. This is not really in their wheelhouse. It is lovely to gaze upon you, Shanghai. You look amazing. You look beautiful. Thank you very much. No. <laughs> Have you had a lot of success at speedruns before? Yes. I used to play a lot of old-school speedrunning games, like Sonic and like all the Mega Drive stuff, yeah. but when it comes to the newer games, mixed results. Got to right. see what happens. Now, you're a quality tester. Yes. Can you explain to me what a quality tester does? You get to play games all day, except that game is broken and you've been playing the same section for about three weeks and you want to die a little bit on the inside. But besides that, it's fine. And see um, the fact that there's so many quality testers out there. Why are there so many bad games? <laughs> None of the games that I test are terrible. There's one other thing I just want to address because it's going to become an increasing problem. Well, I say a problem. It's not a problem for me. It was a problem for some other people. As these three episodes progress, which is virtually everyone is some kind of content creator or streamer. And I remember one of the most constant gripes about the show is, oh, back in my day, twere everyday kids, unless they were for Dominic's mum's talent school, but twere everyday kids that were out there, none of these fancy-dancy Twitch streamers, content creators, pro gamers. And I think, I mean, one is there's something that they may not be aware of, which is, as we've documented, the timeline on this show was arsehole tight. It was so crazily tight to the point where you needed to know that the people should be good at the games, we're going to turn up and we're going to be good on camera. Games Master infamously didn't have time for second takes. And with their time frame and the pandemic and all these other issues that they were facing, that was truer than ever. And the other thing is, if you are a kid, a teenager, a young adult, a man in his 40s with a beard and ponytail, and you enjoy playing games and you are at least entertaining at playing games there is a chance you will do so on Twitch because that's the way of, you know, gaming with your mates on a sofa doesn't really happen anymore. Gaming on a platform to an audience, it may be 10, it may be 100, it may be 1,000. It's what people do. And I think there is a whole generation of people that don't realise that how gamers behave has moved on. I think a lot of that as well is your memory playing tricks on you this idea that, oh, back in my day, Games Master was all about regular kids off the street playing video games. And that is true for the first three, actually the first two series, really, and then maybe the first half of season three. But, you know, as you and I have documented throughout this podcast, there is a point where Dominic Diamond's like, I don't want crap kids playing games badly on this show. I want pro players. And from series five, series six, series seven, most of the people playing those games are pro players. So it's really no difference to the cast that we have on this uh, uh, on this era of Games Master. It's just that back in the mid to late 90s, Twitch and YouTube were not a thing for these pro players to find platforms. Instead, they were just doing it down their local arcades and just being legends amongst the scene. But back in the studio, Shanghai talks a little bit about their history as a QA tester and how, you know, basically monotonous and and soul destroying it is which it is and rab's like well if there are if there's so many qa testers why are there so many bad games and i love the defense of it's none of the games i work on but the real answer is well games usually aren't released they just escape 
that's the thing is it's not like a film where most people go I'm done now it's 93 minutes all the effects are locked off it's graded it's scored and it's got a nice little stinger scene at the end games now just escape and then depending on what the development cycle is the developers will run to keep fixing it while it's out in the wild it's not great I know a lot of people don't like it I know you don't like it I'm not a huge fan of it but I would at least rather they get a chance to try and fix it post-release than just be a broken game, which we did get. We've talked about some of those games, particularly from the Spectrum era, where the games were released broken and they then tried to write it off as being, oh, no, it's a feature. Yeah, uh, there was a game that came out fairly recently uh, within the wrestling world uh, called Fight Forever, which is based on All Elite Wrestling. And there was a lot of people who were really angry that it was released in what felt like such an unfinished state. And I'm there sat being like, I thought that was all games at this point. I thought we'd all like agreed that that's what games are now. They're just unfinished things. They then just get fixed and patched along the way. I think they have a lot, a lot of games have a launch state and then they have a post-launch state. And the simple fact is for a lot of games and the scale of games, you can have QA testers working on a game for six months solid, 100 people playing it 12 hours a day. But as soon as you release it into the world and it's on 50, 60, 70, 80, 100, 200,000 computers, people are going to find new ways to break it. And that's that's just the nature of it. But I've got so much respect for Shanghai for so many reasons. But being a QA tester is definitely up there. So many of us thought that being a games tester would be such a cool gig. It isn't. And we know that everything was filmed out of sequence for this. Challenges were filmed out of sequence. But I think from the very get-go, you can tell this was always designed to be challenge number one. A, obviously, it's Mario 3D World, which is a lovely reference back to, to uh, Series 1 and the, the origins of this show. But it's also very heavy on Rab, letting you know what the stakes are which is if you win, you get the golden joystick and there's the shot of the golden joystick. If you lose, you go to the abyss and there's the, the sort of, as he describes it, wee bit of pantomime booing. It's there to let you as the audience know this is what this show is. So although a lot of it was filmed out of sequence and then they just sort of designed the challenges and signed the episodes around the challenges that they had, this was always designed to be challenge number one best hope they don't biff it really i think the only thing that gets biffed here is the commentary it's i know the frankie said that it, they had some issues with commentary i think it might have been a sound problem they didn't also have a lot of time to kind of get comfortable with each other but man there is such a difference between commentary on this challenge and commentary that we get on the mortal combat challenge later on which is so much better because it was the final day of shooting and they'd work together a bit more. And like, they find their feet in that final challenge. But here, I don't know if this is one of the earliest challenges that they filmed and stuff, but there's huge pauses of silence and it's, it's a bit weird and it's a bit awkward and it just sounds off. Like, I, I don't think this is its best outing that the commentary team have. The cat's coming up. Come on, come on, make some noise! Yeah. Beautiful. Shanghai knows what they're doing. And that somersault there was so important because it meant that they didn't get hit by that sneaky ball at the bottom of the steps. Look at them! Oh, they've had to take two attempts at that wall, losing precious seconds. Maybe it's because of the Mario Cat costume. Big pause. I'll give you that one. That's actually pretty good. Thank um, you. 
I was watching you there going, is he going to let me have it? Yay! <laughs> but, uh, I mean, one of the other things that Frankie told us last week is that she did a lot of note-taking in preparation for these challenges and to make sure that she, as the, the, the pro commentator of this duo, could get across a lot of what the difficulties of these challenges and stuff. And that's hard to do because in esports, you just focus on one game. Here, she's got 12 to kind of focus on. But you can see a lot of those note takings in this challenge because there's a moment when Shanghai jumps off this ledge. They get, they get the cat suit and they climb up a wall and get some coins. They jump off this ledge. And as they're going, they do a somersault and a bum drop. And Frankie explains the reason why Shanghai did that is because if you just fell, you'd have got hit by a cannonball and you'd have lost your cat power up suit. And you need that cat power up suit in order to beat the boss quicker. And that's that's the note taking right there of being, you know, when doing her research and finding out this is why pro players do this at this point because it gets you better. It puts you in better stead for when you get around to the next bits. No, absolutely. Like, I, I have so much respect for the research and the work that Frankie puts into this in trying to explain stuff that, again, I'm sure some gamers are sad at home going, yeah, I know. <laughs> but again, Games Master always did try and straddle that uh, that appeal of gamers and non-gamers. And Frankie is very much continuing that on. Also, I wouldn't have necessarily known that, as we've established. Even though I now own the game, I have not played it. I didn't know it because I've not played this game. But also, like, I wouldn't have known why they did that. I might have presumed that it was because you get a, a quicker drop, maybe, or something like that. But that's the point of a commentator, is to explain shit to you, the dumb audience at home that don't know anything. And even if you do know these things, there are people who don't, and they need to appeal to those people. So I, I think Frankie was really great in that. And Frankie's also very good in explaining the real, I think, real challenge of this challenge overall which is to complete this level get x amount of coins been doing it in two and a half minutes is that you've got two cutscenes that you've mm. got to navigate in this and you're not cut for time in them either like you just have to watch through the cutscenes like shanghai gets to cutscene number one at with 139 left on the clock they go into that boss fight with 117 on the clock there's 20 seconds there that you just lose because you're watching a cutscene. And that's one of two. We had a few times in the original run of Games Master where you had something like that happen. There was less because cutscenes were less. Because if you look at the speedrun record, it's like 45 seconds. You know, it, it's something crazy. But that's also just getting from A to B as opposed to having to get from A to B and deal with cutscenes and collect a certain amount of coins in that time. I think it makes this challenge more interesting because there was part of what I thought of leading into this new series of Games Master is, is it mainly going to be PvP and speedruns? But no, we're keeping that idea of like, ah, we've well, got to complete this level, but within these additional parameters. And it's a, it's a great way to start off the show. Yeah, because the second cutscene they have, uh, they get to it with 46 seconds remaining. And then when that cutscene ends... They had 24 seconds remaining. So what you're looking at there is around about 40, 45 seconds of this challenge are lost, which in a two and a, two and a half minute challenge, you've lost like almost 25% of your time just through cutscenes. So when they get through and they get the rest of the coins that they need and there's just two seconds left on the clock, it's a great tense way to finish this challenge, which only adds to the this is a perfect first challenge for a reboot of Games Master. Ty, my man, what are the crowd feeling about that? 
To be honest, I'm proud of you, but what do you think? What do you, because you had a few, look, it's crazy, and we're getting used to it. Yeah, we're spinning. Yeah? But we're working in process. No, the budget wasn't too good, but we're getting there. It was, it was tense, I'll tell you. Tense one. Two seconds? Yeah, yeah. Crazy. What did you think? What like, did you think? Shanghai absolutely bossed it. They absolutely smashed it. I loved the fact there was so much drama there. It was awesome. But we get to the end of that challenge. Rab is ecstatic. Shanghai is relieved. And then we cut to Ty, who's working the crowd with a wonky mic. Uh, I like how Ty worked with the mic and just kind of like made a joke of it. And I get what they were going for with Ty. I don't know that it works. And I think maybe part of that is on Ty being prepared for it. Part of that is also down to us, the crowd, because there weren't a lot of people in the crowd because one, it was quite difficult to get to, two, it was quite short notice, three, pandemic, four, midweek. Like if this had been recorded at weekends. And like with no time yeah, with such a tight record because there's, there's tapings of this start at like six and they had to be done by 10-ish really so people could get home meant that you can't prep people. These aren't like all-day shoots where you can get... So you can say, I'm going to come to you in a minute, think of something to say or we can workshop something to say. Literally, Ty's just walking around with a microphone being like, say something about that challenge and you've got to think on your feet. Okay, what am I going to say about that challenge? And I think this is part of the show that works better on paper than it does in execution. And I, I don't think a lot of it ever works because what you just get is, you know, when, and when Dom's edge interview, that edge interview, when he just starts ragging on things, it's like, don't ask kids what they think of games because they've always, they've got nothing to say and no one cares. This is, the, don't ask members of the audience what they thought of a challenge because they've got nothing to say and no one cares. And, and I, I think that's the brutal truth about this this part of the show devil's advocate i think what could have worked for this like to tweak it a little is if you went okay cool let's invite some podcasters down not us god not definitely not us but let's let's invite some podcasters down let's invite some streamers down some other youtubers maybe some people from like some pundits, not necessarily people working for like Eurogamer or IGN or whatever, or Digital Foundry, but just like kind of armchair pundits that do their own content and then just have them, have critics row. Mm. And Ty goes to one of them because you can bring them in, you can let them know what the challenge is going to be and they know they're going to be approached to be asked about it. It's no worse than Paula's Talent Academy. It's basically going, we're going to make sure that people know what to say. Yeah. I mean, here we are. We talk for hours a week about Games Master. I was dreading them approaching us because I was not coming into that space expecting to be asked those questions. If I'd known in advance that, oh, you might be asked what you think of a challenge, I'd have gone into the room in a different space. Yeah, we were right to stand where we were stood. We were second row which means we were never going to get asked. His, 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 um, his mic on a stick did not extend that far. Now, Shanghai, I know that we have something that you want. Here we go. Give it to me, baby. Yeah, I can see your wee face lighting up in expectation. Look at your wee face. Let's bring it out here. It's an artifact more rare than a healthy work-life balance in the video game industry. Too real. A statement that was true in 2021 remains true in 2023. The balance of work and life in the video game industry is 
yeah, tenuous. Uh, and like uh, Shanghai's recognition of that is a real moment. Yeah, it is. And uh, I, lo- I love also that they acknowledge that Games Master Golden Joysticks from the original series have been going for occasionally stupid money on eBay. And um, and and so just that whole thing of like, is it going on eBay? And Shanghai's like, no, no. Well, yes, but no, but maybe. But maybe. Do love it's mirrored back. Uh, yes. The, the, the reboots uh, joystick. Yes. It also does mean that like it, it kind of avoids um i guess the joystick being lost against the clothing it kind of it it also shows it from all angles they're quite nice joysticks they're not the proper plated ones that the originals were but then again the originals also stopped being properly plated at some point the little 3d printed games master logo that's mounted on the joystick itself is quite cool though this is beat saber an immersive vr rhythm game on the quest 2 where you must use your sabers to slash the beats of adrenaline pumping music as they fly towards you not only must you match the colors of your saber to the beat red on red and blue on blue but you must slash them in the direction the arrow is telling you up down left right every wrong move kills that bit more of your health but nothing damages it more than missing a beat and come on you know ty don't like to miss a beat the difficulty ranges from easy all the way up to expert plus an insanely hard level for elite special gamers only however the holy grail of beat saber is what they call full combo a perfect run where not one beat is missed and everyone is hit just right on expert plus this is basically impossible or is it? So we now move into our sponsored portion of the episode here uh, for our challenge on Beat Saber. With this, you know, it's a meta-sponsored show, and I'm not gonna like, you know, dog on anyone being sponsored. I make content that is sponsored all the time, and this show would not have been made without this sponsor. And you know, if you're gonna do sponsored content, and you're going to have a sponsor basically featured on the show in the form of a challenge at least it's fun like this is edited really interestingly and i think that it's very funny the text on screen really makes me laugh sam tough is you know just looks like regular old joe from down the park and he's got some weird accolades to his name as we mentioned on episode one he is the ranked number one high score on bubsy in claws encounters of a third kind and he is just like it breaks arcade machines with too many tickets but then bosses this Beat Saber challenge and it's rad. I think this is genuinely a very, very good portion of this episode. It's a good portion. However, and I say this not as a Beat Saber player, but having gone through the comments on the full length version of this, because some challenges and some parts of the show were posted in extended length editions on the E4 YouTube channel. There are some Beat Saber players there that are going, is it that impressive though? because it's kind of one of the starter songs. Also, going by the footage they use, he breaks his combo a number of times. And so they're like, okay, it's cool, and it shows off Beat Saber, but is it necessarily what it's purporting to be? And, you know, you want to talk about paying homage to the original Games Master, as we found out only the other week, one of our favourite challenges of the last couple of series the people in the room were actually just stood in front of a cabinet that was switched off for the entire duration of the episode and all of the game footage was recorded in a hotel room a couple of days before. So, you know, smoke and mirrors, it's television production. But I think presenting something as being like a massive achievement in the internet age when actually there's an entire vibrant community out there that will go, 
but it's not. It's a risky proposition. And as I say, if you go and look at the comments on this, there are obviously some people just being arseholes because it's the internet and you should never read the comment. But also there are people going, yeah, but there's problems here. And, you know, I'm not going to dog on the production for that. But also you've got to be aware of what what environment you're releasing this into. If you're going to present something as being an impossible task, make sure it is an impossible task. I don't know. I mean, people certainly wouldn't have... Uh, seen it, uh, but they might have heard it. Uh, I did roll my eyes uh, when you said that there were pro players who said that this is not as impressive as it is. It's like, well, of course, you're pro players. Like, of course, you don't think it's impressive. This is the start of the song. Like, I, I, I have got a little bit of oh, fuck to that attitude. Um, but this is it's his sponsored content, and really, it's you're you are right in that you have got to make sure that uh, people aren't going to know. But I think that's also a small number of people are going to see that. I literally do this as as part of my job. And, you know, like this is a, something I do as spare time. We put a lot of hours into this. I didn't go looking for, for the, the comments on this thing. I didn't go diving into that. So I watched this and I saw it was dead impressive. So I'm kind of like the, you know, the, the test subject here of this is presented as, as an impossible task that is done and I bought into it. Do I want to play the game? No. Does it make me want to buy meta? No. Does it make me want to buy whatever the, the VR thing is? No. But I'd enjoyed it. And yeah, I, I, you, uh, pro players could, will probably have a pop at the, the the girls playing Call of Duty, or would have a pro players would probably have a pop at Shanghai for you know their technique on on Mario World. It's it's yeah, I, I get it, but it's also like I think this is impressive. I think Sam Tuff's impressive here. No, I think it is still impressive personally, but I think it is that opening line. They go, so on Expert Plus, it's the track Escape, which on Expert Plus full combo is impossible. And there's a lot of people that are going, it's really not. And I think that's the issue, is if they'd just like tugged the words back a bit, they'd have still got the good promo. It would have still looked impressive. It is still impressive, but you don't say something is impossible when it's categorically not. And I know it's, it doesn't bother TV, you. But it's TV. Oh, I know it's TV. I, I guess and it's a, just and a, a bit of sponsored content. <laughs> and a bit of sponsored content. I guess I just don't... Even now, I want the show to be seen as legit and so much of it is but this feel makes it feel a bit like it isn't no but this is yeah this is the sponsored portion of the show and i'm totally fine with it like you know people people make up all sorts of bollocks for tv and as long as it's entertaining that's all it kind of needs to be this is not a legit competition uh i think it is this this is fine because I was mad impressed by this and they actually I think the, the way they set this up and you know, having Ty failing at it having members of the production failing at it really kind of ramps up this idea and like Sam Tuff is not a you know he's not a uh, a hack or anything like that no he's got, definitely not he's got multiple different accolades and awards and you know Guinness records and stuff and see I think I have got none of this what I've just said is about Sam it's just literally the choice of words on the script and production. I think what you just said about all the crew and Ty failing, that does a way better job at selling how difficult this challenge is to a layperson than just throwing a word impossible in there. But I think even if you didn't have the word impossible in there, you'd still have pro players saying, this is not that impressive. This is not, yeah. as, di- this is not as difficult as they're making it out to be. Maybe, but also they wouldn't have an actual scripted word to hang no. their argument on. It would just be conjecture at that point. Yeah. I, I, those people would still be there. It's just now they've got, oh, a little yeah, bit yeah, more, yeah. they've got a little bit more ammunition in the barrel. Yeah, they they, they have more of a point, basically. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. As if they didn't have that word, it would just be the internet. 
Yeah, pretty much. Because I mean, when the beat kicks in and he just just starts swinging it around, I, I honestly don't know how you're supposed to play this game. It looks absolutely nails, and even at the, even at curiosity, I don't think I'd enjoy having a go on this. Um, but it's yeah, I, I think it's pretty impressive nonetheless. And actually, I think the editing on this bit's really fun. Oh, the editing is really, really well done. Um, th- just the bits where they actually cut to him against the green screen. And uh, that I thought was really, really fun. Uh, the actual gameplay style, I have played Beat Saber once or twice. And the best way I can kind of describe it is, have you ever seen one of those kind of like, I think it's meant to be an exercise as much as a game where you have the different lights light up on a wall and you have to jump and hit the lights. Mm-hmm. It's that in a video game form with lightsabers. That's yeah. basically it with, with some music in time. But this this challenge is really fun and really entertaining. Something I noticed this time round, because, you know, he, he completes the challenge. The sponsored content is sponsored. Everything's grand. But Ty said earlier, he can have my shoes if he wins. And I realised watching it this time, Sam and Ty never met. <laughs> Their footage is shot on completely different days, possibly in different rooms. Because he never even hands the shoes over to him. He just walks up to speaking to someone off camera. A bet's a bet. Probably didn't even know what the bet was. And Ty just goes like, oh, and then it's just a shot of him walking down the street going like, how do I get myself into these situations? Waka waka. It almost feels like this is going to be a, a, a series long story of him just getting himself into these situations of making bets with people and then they complete them. But it doesn't really. I think what kind of cemented for me that it's like, oh, this was filmed on separate days, possibly in separate locations, wasn't so much the fact you never showed them together because this was filmed during the pandemic, social distancing. It's the fact that Ty's here and Sam's eyeline is up here. Like he's looking at the golf ball, like, you know, the old Jurassic Park thing of like a tennis ball on a stick or a golf ball on a stick. They've got a golf ball on a stick and it's like, this is Ty. And unfortunately, they've got it two foot higher than Ty actually is. But it's still a really fun little skit. And yeah, I love, the fact that they could have had, you know, Ty constantly losing newer and more impressive and more expensive shoes. Because apparently that is what the kids today like. They are big on their shoes. Yeah, I mean, the final thing I, I will say on this challenge is I enjoyed this segment much more than the next one. Coming up. Call of Duty Modern Warfare. And this challenge is one of the hardest there is. Oh, How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. To relax, some people like to listen to an audiobook. Some people like to listen to ASMR. Me, nothing sends me to sleep faster than the dulcet tones of the games master. <sighs> Coming back from the ad break, and Rab tells us that he likes to fall asleep to the dulcet tones of Games Master, but I'm kind of like, you know, the other people that he lists there, because some people listen to audiobooks or ASMR. Not really my bag, but I, I do get it. Um, I'm a podcast man to, to fall asleep to. What if it was Trevor McDonald reading an audiobook? Oh, and I, my thing with audiobooks, though, is I want to listen to the audiobook. I mean, I guess you suppose you'd pick one that you've heard before yeah that's what i've done i've always got this worry that you know i can't do it with a book that i've not read because i'm just going to fall asleep and then not know what happened in the 15 minutes that uh i'd fallen asleep in and the time has gone and i don't know how what time at what point i fell asleep see the thing is i've got to do that with whether it's an audiobook or a podcast or anything else it has to be something i've heard before because otherwise i am going to go but i want to know what happens next well let's find out what happens next in our next challenge what are we playing games master Video gaming has a rich history of first-person shooter games, but is one of the best-selling franchises of all time. Call of Duty is arguably the king of FPS, and this challenge is one of the hardest there is. Playing Call of Duty Modern Warfare, the challengers will be working cooperatively to defeat six veteran-level bots, the most difficult bots they can face. They'll be playing on the small shoot-house map that encourages fraught and high-energy engagement. Everyone will have four lives, and they will have a maximum of three minutes to kill or be killed. Listening back to uh, our first record, I do sound like a proper grumpy old man because I am there being like, I've got no time for Call of Duty. I've got no time for this era of like first-person shooters. I legit at one point say, I don't know what happened in this challenge because I couldn't keep track of things. And I was listening to that and I was like, oh, God, it can't be that bad. And then I rewatched it and no, here I am. I'm still like, oh, I still have no idea what happens in this challenge. I, I don't think this is... It's, it, you know, what we've been told, a lot of the challenges were set up to be borderline impossible that they couldn't do because they do need some to fail. This feels like it was, they were never going to win. Spoilers, they don't. Um, but it's, it's like an almost impossible challenge to do. I think also this more so than other games is a case of like when I'm playing a PC game or when I'm playing a first person shooter, even if it's on a console, I have a setup that I need to use. You know, I've got this this environment I need to be in. I've got my keyboard. I've got my mouse. This is my mouse. You know, this is the mouse I use for gaming. Trying to get someone to do that in a studio environment is always going to be difficult. And we saw the setup they were using for the for the gaming and the capture, and it was not 
I guess, ideal. It was impressive they got it to work. Particularly on Splatoon. Oh, particularly on Splatoon. So yeah, this challenge was one of those ones, much like one of my favourite challenges of this run, one that was going to be impossible. I think I just wish they'd done slightly better. I think if they'd done slightly better, the, the, it would have felt more achievable. And also, and I say this with the hindsight, and having made the mistake of reading the comments, much like Shanghai, there's a lot of people that just went out for these two because of who they were. The gaming was an excuse. Because what we have here is a couple, a very, very cute and adorable couple who are so clearly in love with each other. It's actually like heartwarming how much they like each other. We've got Gabby and Emma, one of which is a pro player and is more like streamers like like she later says to rab that she's more of a streamer and content creator but she's only just started to enter tournaments and get a bit more into that it's not to say that gabby isn't good at this game because she plays it a lot with emma but it's emma's the pro player here and gabby's sort of like her co-pilot the robin to her batman if you will and yeah, she's uh, you know she talks about the fact that she is signed on to Cloud Nine and, and entering tournaments and they like they talk about the guns in this game with incredible amounts of detail because they know exactly uh, you know MRM Sigma knows exactly what this what you need to do in order to play this game well. See, it's one of the things I love is I love when people like have that coming in with that knowledge of the game because even if I don't understand it, and I've played Call of Duty games in the past, I've missed quite a few of the recent ones because it became more online focused and I'm like, well, I, I like a single player campaign. But I love it when people are coming on and they're talking with some degree of knowledge and expertise about the weapons because even if I don't know it, I can kind of pick it up from them and go, oh, cool, okay, I, I guess I kind of get that. I guess that means it's kind of like a shotgun in Doom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But this is a really, really tough challenge because they're in a very small map. They're up against veteran-level bots. And as we find out later on, veteran-level bots can also track your movement through walls. So they are literally able to see you before you see them. And very quick to turn around and flank you and this is almost a massacre really as a challenge um because they have three minutes they barely last one before all before both of them lose all four of their lives and it really does feel like they just get spawn camped and it's just you know they they die and die and die again they manage to get a couple of kills and you can hear them chatting to each other to try and like find some encouragement. But there's a moment when like Emma loses her third life where you can see this look behind her eyes that's just like, I shouldn't have signed up for this because this is not making me look like a good player. Yeah. I mean, that is a that's always a real fear whenever you go for any challenge like that. I mean, I'll be honest, that was always one of my fears about if we'd actually done a challenge on Games Master, they'd have probably bigged up. It's like, oh, these two have talked about Games Master for 100 blah, 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 episodes and da, 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 da. now they had to do this. And if we both tanked it, we'd have just looked awful. And we, that's not even like gaming isn't even our career. No, it's absolutely not. barely no. a hobby at this point. <laughs> I don't have time. But what I thought while watching this challenge is conversations that you and i had about series seven when we kept asking like why wouldn't you do four player goldeneye why wouldn't you do four player mario kart and you know games master was always you have one screen 
on the screen at any one time and then it sort of shifts across and then you see the other person's screen you know like mm. uh, during like final furlong and things like that uh, or any of the racing games that they did and we thought that you know it's got a quirky sort of like 90s feature and i kind of had the theory that it could be because if you put up four different first person viewpoints on screen it's hard for an audience to keep track of who is who, who is where, and what is happening. And I think that's sort of what happens here. Because I, maybe it's because it just moves too quickly because it's impossible for them to do, and they just get sniped off and killed so quickly. I really struggle to follow the action in this and follow, I struggle to follow if they'd killed someone, if they hadn't killed someone. I could tell when they got killed because the camera point changes. And maybe I'm just an old fart here, but like, or, you know, I'm, I'm not going to use the word old fart, actually. I'll take that back. I'm not a current gamer, so I don't know these games particularly well. But it's just like this did not work for me in the slightest. I get why you would do a Call of Duty challenge because Call of Duty is massive, so I'm told. Um, but this, on a personal level, I thought this challenge fucking sucked. I think a Call of Duty challenge could have worked. I just don't think this was the one. And I don't think it's down to the players and I don't think it's down to the game. I think that, yeah, it just a different... A different uh, dynamic, a different way of doing it. Maybe something involving online would have would have worked. Like kind of, you know, back in those early days where we had early internet challenges and stuff, maybe kind of like a two versus many kind of challenge. So they're not against bots, which, you know, I mean, bots at the hardest level do fucking cheat, basically. Uh, but, but actually, yeah, uh, kind of like um, an assault on Precinct 13 kind of situation. Maybe that could have been fun. Yeah, or as you know, I don't know if you can do PvP on Call of Duty, something along those sorts of lines. But then you might have ended up with the Star Wars Battlefront challenge we had on Go 8-Bit, which also wasn't very good. Yeah, maybe just maybe a lot of first-person shooters aren't really designed for live video game challenge TV. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, I still want to do some kind of first-person shooter type challenge at some point for a UCP Live, but probably not Call of Duty. Come on out, come on out. It just looked unbelievably difficult. It is. It is hard. I tell you, it is hard. Veteran is something different. Yeah. The hardest spots, like I forgot, like they can literally track through like walls. They just yeah. know where you are at every time. So it's just. Yeah, and it's tough. It's like, how do you stop yourself from getting flanked, flanked, yeah. flanked all the time? Yeah, yeah. That's there's you, only two of you. You have to have really yeah. good map awareness. Yeah. Was there anything that they could have done? Oh, I mean, I'm no one to tell the pros what to do. I think maybe have someone on Slayer duty with the MP5 just flanking and trying to out-rotate those, those bots that were flanking you constantly, basically. That's the only thing I can really think of. And in the post-match, you know, this is where they explain that the, the bots are so hard they can track you through walls. Like, they, you, they know they you... They cheat. They know you better than you know you. And, like, Frankie is a whole thing like look i'm not gonna tell a pro player how to play this game but like maybe if one of you had flanked you might have had uh, a better chance of doing this and the post-match interview is is grand and all but what happens next is i think one of the things that the show f had a bit of criticism against that i sort of do understand and we talked a little bit about this with frankie last week when we were i was going through the rolmuck forums that were giving their feedback to these shows as they were aired and quite a few of them said it's a show made for kids and there were a few other people replied being like i don't think this can be a show that's made for kids it's shown at 10 p.m on e4 and also have you seen what the final challenge is 
And now when I look back at my time there and I look back watching this episode, I now really see what they were thinking about. And it's the flush thing. It's the getting the audience of lots of people in their mid 30s upwards doing what felt like you would do on SMTV live in the 90s. Oh, going flush. In fact, actually, you, I think it's either in this challenge or it's, it's not in this challenge because we weren't here for this one. It's later on. You can see me in the background, proper half arsing a flush and just being like, this is a little bit. I, it's, I think it is comical and it's cute, but I think it's a bit too silly. The green screen stuff I love, like when they're falling down into the abyss. But I think the especially because whole... they clearly didn't quite know what they were doing, what they well, were meant to be doing. Well, I, and we talked about this in the, in the original episode when we first did this. I think they were told purposely, don't act, don't take this seriously. Like, just go like, oh no, as you're falling, because that's what most people tend to do. Um, but yeah, like it's the whole flush thing. I think it just makes it feel very kiddie. And I don't. I don't think it is in keeping with the rest of the uh, of the series aesthetic. Yeah, I, I guess like I kind of like the falling into the pit thing or the abyss or whatever you want to call it. Like I don't know what else they could have chanted or like you know what we what because I get you do want something from the audience. You don't want them just sit there in silence. I'm not sure cheering or booing that would have also been quite panto. Die. That's a little too extreme. Death. 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 Kill. And uh, singing na 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 goodbye would have been copyrighted, so probably not great. I think what also doesn't help it is I really loved the kind of like the the, the porter toilet of doom, but the actual fabric hanging down on the inside did look a bit Santa's grotto. That, well, that's kind of what I mean. Like I think the only way it's almost like the end of war games. Mm. The only way to do this right is to not do it at all. Ah. Uh... No, I think there are ways you could have done it. I think it would have just been to do with framing and also lighting. Like if the inside of the box had been darker lit, maybe just like a single spotlight down. Basically, what you can't see is always going to be better than what you can. You know, what the imagination does. But it it's still a, a fun moment. Like I, I think it's it's worth it for the bad green screen. Which I know was it was an odd, real point of contention, uh, sort of amongst like you know Twitter feedback and stuff. Who really didn't like this? I actually thought the green screen falling was really funny, intentionally so because it's it's meant to be intentionally bad. Um, but so I think it's worth it for that aspect. But yeah, like a, it's also very childish, and I think it then sort of shows that this is a it was a show that wasn't quite sure who its audience was. But we do get some great zingers from the games master. Ah, oh, when young love dies. <laughs> They're dead. <laughs> it was my they're intro. <laughs> it was my intro line when we did this the first time round. When young love dies, they're dead. It's awesome. Welcome to beautiful Helensborough. If you gaze across the water there, you'll see a long black thing. That thing's called the sugar boat. It's a boat full of sugar that capsized in the 1970s. Its captain steered that sinking boat onto a sandbar to save his entire crew. He's a hero, that guy. And it lives there now, and it's forever home. Its own little ecosystem. And it's easy, I think, to walk past beautiful things like that if you don't know that they exist. That's why I think it's important to review games like Cruising Blast on the Nintendo Switch. 
This is the most Consolvania bit of this entire episode. It's very video guide in this. This is very series two video guide. And like I put the clip in when we did our video guiding. So obviously we reviewed some stuff from series one and then I put some stuff in from series two. And this is like so much like the way it's shot, the way that it's delivered, the background, because it's Scotland. It's pure rab. It's pure video guiding. And it's awesome that it's here now on Games Master. And like this shows that this and the educating Grado bit that comes up later on, this is as much Rab's show as it is Games Master as a whole. I mean, what this segment is about Cruising Blast, it's just Rab with some really excellent writing. I still can't speak as to whether Cruising Blast is fun. I have not played it. I've not bought it. I looked at the game. It looks fun enough, but I'm just like, no, I've... I've got other fun racing games that are kind of arcadey, goofy banter, and that are kind of arcadey, goofy antics. But I appreciated the passion that Rab put into it. I really liked the kind of tying it back to the story of the sugar boat. I was just like, on some levels, that's tenuous, but Rab sells it. He I mean, really one thing does. we can definitely say about all three of these episodes is Rab sells these segments and these products because we both own Evercade as a result of one Rab Florence. I downloaded You Can't Drive This because of Rab Florence. And much like this, I don't own a Switch. We actually have one in the office, I suppose. So I could get it for that. I think this game looks really fun. This game looks really, really fun. And it looks like my style of driving game as well. And Probably the truest thing that Rab says in this, I would imagine, having not played the game, of course, is that it is fine in single player, but it shines in multiplayer. Yeah, maybe that's why it just doesn't appeal, because I am a lonely gamer. <laughs> I, I, and I, was, I hope as well that it's couch co-op, because that's my, uh, that's my jam, is couch co-op. I ain't got time for your... I ain't got time for your multiplayers that require me to sit alone. I ain't got time for them. I need I need people with me. Although, for those of you that do sit alone, this game will still get a four-finger special. Yeah, it's still funny, isn't it? It's still funny. <laughs> it still works. Coming up. Bring me snitchy shy. Splatoon 2. And it just looks like sheer domination. <laughs> Yeah, there's nothing better than when a famous person comes for a visit. Frankie, who's at the enormous door? This celeb is well known for her potty mouth, so we've given her a dirty, dirty challenge. I think we talked about this when we did it first time round. We might not have done, but I think I might have said, like, it's weird to do a celebrity special when everyone on the show feels like they're a celebrity, because in a way, Twitch streamers are celebrities and pro players now are celebrities. You know, we're certainly within the fandoms and stuff. And so those aren't celebrity challenges. But this here is a celebrity challenge. I mean, I think Snoochie is definitely a slight level above some of the others. And if I remember correctly, Snoochie was also in the running to actually be a host of Games Master. So perhaps that is one of the things that tipped the scale in that direction. I think she's still hands down has my favorite introduction with the games master just, just because she sells it trevor sells it it's a wonderful moment it's really really good but let's find out what snoochie will be playing what will she be playing games master 
Our celebrity challenger will be playing the third-person paint shooter, Splatoon 2. Playing as inklings or octolings, using colored ink as ammunition, challengers will be in a turf war, with their prime objective being to cover as much turf, meaning ground, as possible with their colored ink. The challenger who paints the most territory in three minutes wins. This challenge will not be simple, as it will take place in the Walleye Warehouse, a close-quartered map which will force challengers to paint in the same places. Right, who's next to snuff it? Wagwan Games Master. Wagwan. It's one of those games I don't get, but I know a lot of people that do, and therefore I am very happy for them. We saw this challenge taped. This was on the, the, the taping that we did. And I think the funniest thing from this is that I could feel that no one knew who was winning or who was doing well or who was doing badly. But the most prevailing thing was no one knew whose color was which. And we all presumed that Snoochie was purple because she was wearing purple. And then, yep. it, was, and then it was, and I was like, I was then watching it being like, oh my God, I, th- I think Snoochie's decimating this poor lad. Like, I don't think that's the story they want to be telling. And it wasn't until the end of it, I found out that the kid won. Yeah, I think there was, but they edited this out, but there was kind of like a bit of a double take from the audience collectively. It's like, we all cheer at the end. And, you know, little lad Larry's the winner. Is he? Is he? Did he win? I, I Did don't he? know. I, mean, I don't, I mean, okay, I can see that there's this level of purple splat and this level of yellow splat, but did he win? <laughs> I guess he did. Uh, I mean, we found out last week that this was not meant to be a Splatoon challenge. Uh, this was meant to be a Smash Brothers challenge. I would have probably found it just as confusing, but I would have probably been able to go, oh, cool. Snoochie is this character. Larry is this character. I know Frankie was quite relieved that she didn't have to do commentary on um, on Smash Brothers, but I may have got more out of this challenge if it had been that. I certainly would have done because I've at least played Smash Brothers. Splatoon is one of those games where, as I say, I know people that love it and great for them. I wish I did because it looks fun. It looks great. And it's got really, really bold, big designs. I love I love colourful games. You know, there, there is one of the things that hurt me the most was when I think it was the third or the fourth Dead Rising game when it just went brown. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, Dead Rising is in a shopping mall. You kind of make a bucket of drills and stick it on a zombie's head. Why does the world need to be brown? Why are we going back to the mid-2000s again? I mean, it kind of was kind of veering... Well, actually, no, it was the mid-2010s, wasn't it? But anyway, basically, don't go brown. Colourful games are great. Yeah, this challenger isn't a huge amount to to say about it, really. Like, the, the best bits of this are actually the before and after. 30 years ago, Games Master gave birth to an enigma, an undefeatable gaming prodigy who became a legend known simply as Big Boy Barry. But now, the pupil has surpassed the master. There is a new hero, the Games Master Gladiator, and he wants blood. Because the gimmick of the Celebrity Challenges is that it is the celebrity versus the Games Master's champion. And the Games Master once had a champion, and that champion has now spawned a new champion. Uh, the student has outperformed the master. So it is celebrities versus 
a kid in Little Lad Larry. And again, I think this sort of feeds into the the feedback that the show got, which is that it often feels like it's for kids because you're now watching a kid playing their games. So I, I, I sort of get it as a bit of feedback. Um, but I think it's a really fun gimmick. And Little Lad Larry is great. And it's also a great connection back to the original run because Series 1, Episode 2 did feature Alex Ferry, who would then go on to become Big Boy Barry and become like a big part of the sort of Games Master Games World family and the sort of the, the Hewland family. So yeah, I, I I like it from from that aspect of it. And I think that is actually the best part of the certainly this celebrity challenge. And I think it'll probably be the best part of all the celebrity challenges is little lad Larry and his very cheeky little atmosphere that he's got about him. Yeah, I mean, that kid has been having all of the sugar today and he's been having a great time with it. Uh, I I remember when this episode aired and I even remember when we were there filming it and there was that whole element of they are bigging up Big Boy Barry as if he was a Games Master creation and he wasn't. He was a Games World creation. He was one of the videators. And I, again, Luke, I made the mistake. I read the comments. I, I shouldn't have done it. And there were a lot of people all over, including Rolmuck, that were making this point. But it is very true to say that without Games Master, Barry would not exist. And it is also fair to say, by Barry's own words, that without teletext, Barry would not exist. Because I found this interview with Barry and... They ask him, like, didn't you appear on the first series of Games Master back in 1992? And he says, I have teletext to thank for my career. How many people can say that? That was the source of breaking news before the internet. And therefore, there was a call for audience members for this new show that was filming called Games Master. So originally, he was just meant to be in the audience. And him and Martin Mathers both applied for tickets and they were going to bunk off school. And they came back and said, do you have gaming skills and therefore they got on the show that series as contestants but that kind of raised him up because originally it was for the 150 golden rings and then they bumped it up to 160 they asked him on the phone if he could do like you know how he was doing and he was like oh i could do 160 and therefore turned up on the day and dominic's like so i guess you've asked to be raised up to 160 and so the story goes but the key quote here is he says it was a sliding doors moment my career could have been so different you have to start with a spin on that level. They started filming. I messed up the spin and I died immediately with no rings. I was almost in tears. They could have and perhaps should have left it at that. And my television career would have been over in two seconds. Thankfully, I heard this voice from the God saying, I think he deserves another go at that. It was the director and my second go, I smashed it. So literally not even a case of, oh, he was discovered on Games Master. By the good grace of a voice from the gods, he got a second go. And from that, he was on Hewland's radar. When they were looking to put together videators, they remembered this kid that came in and not just did the original challenge, but did a better challenge. So they did not name him, but I do think Games Master tenuously can claim to be the originators of Big Boy Barry, as in the career of Alex Very with video game television. Absolutely, yeah. And I think it is... Again, you know, there's that the, the pro players thing we were talking about earlier. People will pick up on things from scripts that are, you know, kind of you don't need to dive into, you know, little details like that. And I, as you mentioned there, like if Alex Ferry has been very vocal. We covered that interview way back in episode two of series one, all the way back when we were recording this in late 2019. We were talking about that interview that he did. 
where he was saying like i owe all of my career to games master so yeah did they come up with a name no but would very be here without it no so yeah i it's Completely fair to say that he is a Games Master legend. Could they have phrased it differently? Could they have said, literally said, you owe your career to Games Master? Yeah, they could have. They could have phrased it slightly differently again. And maybe I would, because even as forgiving as I was of this series and still am much like, and not just the reboot, the entire run of Games Master, I'm very forgiving of a lot of stuff. That one stuck out to me of just like, yeah, I wouldn't have phrased it like that. And that was before the comments. That was just me going, oh, I wouldn't have put it like that. That that feels a little bit kind of, you know, because Games Master was great and I didn't like watch Games World. So, yeah, I don't know. But it makes for a fun thing. And Larry has a hell of a presence on screen. Doesn't like, he, he just? He, he yeah. outsteps his dad, which is saying something. Well, lad, Larry, we are going to be playing Splatoon 2. You're going to be playing against Snoochie Shy. You're no shy. I'm not shy of beating her on TV. Yes! This is bigger than hers. That is serious. That is a serious flex. Yours is cute. (laughs) Hey! Oh, my God! Rain that talking. Yeah, I mean, he's got a a good amount of banter with him. You know, the whole thing of, like, the bling is bigger than yours. And he just goes, like, yeah, yours is just cute. Like, it's, it's, it's really funny stuff. And... I think Snoochie, because Snoochie knows a lot of the people that were a part of this, obviously she knows Ty, they referenced that, but he's been on her show before and has almost passed out drunk and stuff. But we know that she was tested to be one of the lead presenters for this and could have been, you know, in the Rab role. I think the show's probably better for having Rab there because I think you needed Rab to appease the older fans um, who can at least say like, oh, I know Rab and I, I think he'll do a really good job of it. Snoochie would have been a bolder choice, I think. Um, but she's very, very good and she's very funny. She's very affable. She's very likable. And she plays off the kid. Well, like she knows exactly how to play off against the kids to make the kids seem really cool and, and really funny. Um, so I think she's great in this. The challenge though is it's okay. It's fine. It's, it's Splatoon. I, I said earlier, I, I couldn't figure out like now that I know which colors, which it's slightly easier for me to, to, you know, follow along. Uh, but really what happens is Snoochie just gets like bundled into a corner and every time she spawns, Larry's just there to kill her again. And she's just sort of stuck within her own little small portion of the, uh, of the map. Um, and I've got plenty of notes listed down here, but there's two that matter. One of which is that Larry wins 38.8% to 12.1%. And the other is that Rab drops the term, the excellence of execution within his commentary because he is a wrestling fan and he will do that as uh, so the other note i had was the one that i used uh to open this episode which was punishing in the sport area because i'm like that's a line <laughs> <laughs> oh dear snoochie you're wearing purple tonight i know the whole place was covered in purple, yeah. purple everywhere. What happened yeah. there? It, it, it just, I don't know. I have cramp in my foot, so I'm going to use that as Why are you cramping your foot? Yeah, I've got cramp in my foot right now. So well, I'm it looked like you were playing that. it with your feet. Yeah, no, I think so. so I'm, I don't even know. I don't know what happened there. Um, Frankie, could she have done anything different though? You could have splattered him back. And that was one of the issues because he'd started to bully you in your spawn area and you were kind of trying to just spray it and reclaim some ink territory. And he had just some clean hits on you. But we get to the post-match. Snoochie's lost. Larry's won. 
Snoochie blames cramping her feet. Rab's follow-on line is brutal. Yeah, you were, it looks like you were playing it with your feet. It's great stuff as well, because you remember like back in the day, you used to get kids that would be like, oh man, the controller was broken or things like that. They actually meant it. And they were, you know, trying to sort of get away with it. Snoochie's fully playing up this idea of like, no, I got but I got decimated, so I need to come up with a really lame excuse as to why I lost. Oh, it was cramping my foot. I And the, the audience pantomiming along with that is really fun. And then we get Snoochie's dispatch to the abyss. Oh, my God. <laughs> Which it's, it's not the best dispatch, but it's probably my favourite. <laughs> it's my favourite. It's it's the troll two of uh, dispatches to the abyss. Yes, nothing burns quite like a celebrity. Oh my god! <laughs> Joe, we've used divisive a lot about this show so far, and this next segment <laughs> is also divisive. But I think we both loved it because we like Rab and we like the guy that he's doing this next bit with. All right, great on. All right, mate. Can I ask you a question? Hi. Do you know anything about video games? No. Why are you on Games Master? You tell me. I'm guessing you won't know anything about a thing called adaptive music. Mm. No? No. Let me give you an example, mate, because this is going to blow your mind. Right. You know in the film Jaws, right? I've never saw it. You've never seen Jaws? It's another story for another day, but I've never saw it, legit. In Jaws, when the shark comes, a particular music plays. Uh, Don't sing it! Don't you dare sing it. But music plays when the shark comes, right? But see, in a film, right. a composer sits and writes that and puts that in. I know, all right? I know. But the film is a complete thing. It's sitting there, it's started and finished. It's not going to change, mate. Steven Spielberg's not going to go, oh, I'm changing that here, I'm changing that there. It's done, right? Aye. But see, in a game, mate, things are changing all the time. The player decides where he's going. Aye. So how does the music work? Oh, that's a great shout, mate. The music changes as you do things right. in the game. That's really clever, isn't it? Imagine it like this. I'm sitting here right, and at the moment, I'm not punching you. We're just having a wee chat, right? But I lift my fist up, right? It's getting more sinister. I didn't punch you, right? I was only going to tweak your nose. So it was going to get playful again. And that's what a video game music has to deal with. Music that adapts and changes with a player. It's kind of nice to be able to do this at this point here. We're recording this before uh, uh, one of the wrestling companies, AEW, is about to do this massive show at Wembley Stadium. Uh, and if you're around London, you might have seen the posters up for it around and stuff. And there was a big early rumour and report that Grado was going to be part of the show. And he was going to be in one of the opening matches, probably just on the pre-show, and just be there so that people could sing along with a bit of Madonna and have a bit of fun because Grado was this sort of big part of the, uh, the the British wrestling scene and you know one of the big bastions of the the of the Brit rest scene um, in terms of its popularity and stuff. But then there was another big part of the conversation of just like, well, who the fuck is Grado? He's not part of AEW. Why are we putting him on the show? I get both sides of the argument, but I, I think Rab like really came to the defense of Grado when it emerged that he was not going to be part of the show, which is just like, look, this dude here gets better ratings on our tiny island within the UK than SmackDown does in all of America. Like, this guy's a legit celebrity. You could have put him on this post. You could have put him on the poster and people probably would have bought tickets because they know who he is. And I think Grado's great on this. 
because him and Rab are such good friends. And Grado's the he's a weird little dude, but he's so funny. And he's like the two of them are so good together. All pure improv, and it's just Rab with his lyrical tongue and Grado playing stupid dumb wrestler. I love educating Grado. I mean, there's so many things to love about it. One is the framing. It's kind of the classic Smith and Jones kind of like um, talking head setup of just them close to each other. Uh, I love the concept. And I really want to know, has Grado really not seen Jaws? Because if he's not seen Jaws, how does he know the music? I mean, I know how he's known the music. Everyone knows the music from Jaws, whether they've seen it or not. But it, it's just a case of he goes, no, I've never seen it. Da-da. Well, I think both of those things are true. Grado strikes me as the sort of person who has never seen Jaws, but does know its music. He's probably never seen Star Wars, but knows its music. Grado must have seen Star Wars. I could buy not seeing Jaws, but come on. I also love the use of subtitles in this segment. Now, this is social media content. Isn't it just? And we talked about this with Frankie last week, that there's this sort of disappointment that a lot of this wasn't cut up into just being little social bits and bobs. Because this does feel like social media content in the same way that um, the Beat Saber challenge did. So, yeah, it's kind of a shame that it isn't, but I the, I love the little text on the screen. I think it's genuinely really, really funny. And it's a very, like, you know, simple topic to talk about, this idea of adaptive music that, like, a film goes out and you've got the score, but that score's not going to change. That score is sort of, you know, baked in stone. However, in a video game, it can Unless change. you're George Lucas. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, or, you know, at the end of Cats and you realize you haven't put a cat paw on someone and a human hand is still on screen. But it's the this idea of, like, no matter whatever it is you're doing in the game, you're controlling the how the music is presented to you. And them using the uh, example of Untitled Goose Game is so delightful for me for two reasons. Number one... It's a brilliant game because you have the punchline at the end of this, which is like, I've learned how clever writing music for games is and what it's like to be a goose. And two, number B, it's the only game on this, it's the only game on this episode that I've fucking played. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, no, that's not true. I've also played Mortal Kombat 11 a little bit, but it's the only game on this that I've actually really played. It's an amazing game. It's a charming game. I was overjoyed to see a new game from this studio announced um, the the other day in the trailer to drop for it because it didn't start with the studio name. And just going through it, even though it's a completely different art style, I was thinking, this feels different. Mm. Like, this feels quirky and weird. And as soon as I saw their name at the end, I'm like, that's why. That's why. But yeah, Untitled Goose Game it was great in 2021. It's still great today. It is available on pretty much every platform you can think of, maybe even some Casio calculators at this point. It's great. You should you should definitely play it. It's got adaptive music, and you'll find out what it's like to be a goose. Last note, not even going to say what it is, but I popped for Grado's t-shirt. <laughs> Coming up. Mortal Kombat 11. Now he's back, rain into a corner, and that's, that's really where Ketchup has got to be. Here's something that should fill a couple of minutes. A couple of minutes of your life. No many minutes in a lifetime. When I was rereading my notes for uh, this episode, I've just got like ad break, colleagues. And then the note is, here's a segment that will fill a few minutes. And I thought to myself, freaking hell, Luke, that's a bit harsh, isn't it? Like, I'm pretty sure this would be a fine little segment. 
And then it was only until I watched the episode back that I realized, oh no, that's how they set the segment up. Honestly, this in itself, we talk about social first, we talk about clips for social media. Colleagues like this, this could just be its own 10 minutes regular weekly series. It really could be. Like I, sorry, I could see your day job doing something like this. Funny enough, that this is something that I have pitched recently, um, a little bit behind the scenes, if anyone is interested in my day-to-day work, um, of like, you know, because we're going to be doing a video game channel at some point soon. It's like it's on our list of things that we'd like to do. And this is basically what I've pitched. I've just pitched Board Game Club, but with video games. And we just play couch co-op games. And the idea is to show people how much fun it is to play video games with your friends on the same sofa. And it, and then re-watching colleagues here, I was like, ah, yeah, and this is why I think it would be a really good idea. Because I think it's just, it's fun to watch people having fun playing video games. I mean, one of the things I always wanted us to be able to do was to sit and play games together on the sofa for under consultation, but not even necessarily versus games or cooperative games, just be a case of like me playing, I don't know, one of the Castlevania games and you sitting there and us chatting, but also you giving colour commentary, you know, yeah. basically also maybe throwing some shade, having some bants, as the kids say. And, and I, But I think that in itself is entertaining because I think you know this and I know this, it's really difficult to do continuous running commentary when you are trying to focus on a game. I was playing a game on stream last night I'd never played before, or rather a mode in a game I'd never played before. There's dead air in that stream because I'm like, <laughs> what the f*** does this button do? And meanwhile, people in chat are going, press R1 and square to recharge your health. And I'm like, oh, right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I... Frankie mentioned this when we chatted with her last week. She wishes there was more of colleagues uh, in the series because it's in episode three. It's not featured in the second episode, but we will see it again in episode three. But from the sounds of things, they filmed way more of this than we actually see in the show. And yeah, she feels that there could have been actually good social content that could have got up onto uh, whether it's E4's YouTube channel or up on Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is, because you don't even have to have it as a 10-minute video. You could just do this as a kind of like the length that this is, like a two and a half minute bit of content. And because like the great thing about colleagues, and I suppose it depends on the game that you choose to do it with, this is just a real quick snapshot of what it's like to play Can't Drive This. And it makes me want to play it. What's this called? Can't drive this. Can't, Can't drive, drive this. this. Can drive this. Let's go, I've set it up. So yeah, one of you's got to make the track and the other one right. has got to I think drive. I'm driving, I'm driving on the right. Oh my God. Right. Oh Where are we going? My... Come on, man. Where are we going? Oh, yeah. Hey, there we are. Yeah? Come on, I need something, Ty. I need Bro, something. I've got a barrier here. Oh, here you go. Here, here. <laughs> you know the game makes it difficult, though. Because what it will do is it won't give me much space with my camera, so that's a tricky part of this game. Yeah. Bam. I'm coming. Other way. I'm coming. Yeah, other way. Yeah, yeah, other way. Bam. Oh, I'm coming. Bam. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. Coming. Bam, other way. What, is this a golf Other course? way. Keep going, keep going. Oh, you're going the wrong way, brother. Oh, wait, that's oh, me. Oh, oh, right. oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, yes, yes. No, 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 no. Yeah. OK, because I can't see what... Oh, oh. Guys, guys, I'm smiling. And not no the usual fake smile that I use on the show. This is like a real... It's a real one. This is great, this game. It's a good one. It's a bit annoying, but... It's a challenge. It gets your mind thinking. I am likely to buy this game. 
I'm likely to buy this, put a likely over Frankie's pregnant belly. I am likely to buy this game. As I will for my unborn child. And I have played this game. I've actually remembered there's actually three games that I played on this episode. But I've played it because of this. Mm. Because of colleagues and watching them play it here. I downloaded Can't Drive This so I could play it at work with my colleagues. Because I was like, we will really get on with this. They didn't get on with it as much as like Rab, Ty, and Frankie do. Like, we played it a couple of times. They thought it was fine. And then they wanted to go back to speedrunners or, or 2K23 or whatever. Um, but 22 I, at that point, probably. No, Tom. Oh, no. It would have been <laughs> 20? No, oh, no. No. It been, no, no. It would have been 22. Because by the time we all got back into the, the office and everything. and Oh, yeah. And it would have just yeah. come out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it would have been 2K22. You're right. But yeah, like it's I, it's, I think it's really good fun. But watching them play it actually makes it look more fun than actually playing it. That, I think, is the great strength of Colleagues as a segment. Do you know what I think the biggest strength of Colleagues as a segment is? Particularly if you are already doing an active production. It's cheap. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's a sofa. Maybe a two-camera shoot. Maybe a locked-off wide shot and a close-up camera. You could possibly do what you sneaky scamps do which is use one 4k camera and then crop it down to multiple hd angles which is a genius idea and i'm really envious i never thought of that before although we uh, did a shoot this morning because uh, i'm actually looking at the setup now where it has just got four cameras rather than just do the crop in shots we've just got four cameras pointed around the set but you could do these segments in downtime between filming other things so it's like okay we've done one setup we need to reset we need to do this that and the other Guys, can we go and film another colleague segment? And they just like, it's like small party games, Steam games, little bits and pieces. And they just um, they just run off on it. Yeah, you don't need to do like a full Mario Party 8 playthrough. You can just do a little fun, or you can just do some of the mini games from Mario Party if you wanted, rather than do like the, you know, the entire board game section of it. Uh, I, I think it's really good. Um, as I said, Frankie talked about this last week and she really enjoyed these segments as well because it's also a way for the three of them to bond. It's kind mm. of the, the top gear aspect of it where they do feel like they're all friends as opposed to three disparate people that have been brought together by screen testing. Yeah, and if there's one thing that gaming is full of now, it's like small independent fun party or small experience games. I think low-key, the budget game label has returned we're just not calling it that. <laughs> and because of inflation, budget is now not $2.99. It's $14.99 or less. But I'm actually fine with that. I will quite happily chuck 15 quid on a game that I'm going to get, you know, 20 hours out of. Maybe 30. Maybe more if it's multiplayer and it's got a good core mechanic. And they are very high on Can't Drive This here. And you can tell that they're high on this, Ash. Because even Rab is smiling. And it's a real smile. Although it looks more like he's got gas. <laughs> well, let's get into our final challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? This is it. The most bloodthirsty game franchise out there. Mortal Kombat. Challengers will be brutally facing off in the best of three fight on Mortal Kombat 11. But there is art to the violence. They need to be patient, use defense wisely, and use their aggression tactically if they are to come out victorious. These high-level challengers will display the most damaging combos, the hardest-hitting, crushing blows, 
and the most punishing fatalities, making a true spectacle of video game violence. Bit of a classic staple of Games Master, we got Mortal Kombat 1, 2, 3 and 4 in the original run, so it's nice in our opening episode here. Oh, actually, you're wagging your finger. You can't call it Mortal Kombat 1 anymore. You've just got to call it Mortal Kombat. Sorry, you're right, absolutely. So we've got Mortal Kombat 2, 3, 4, and quite fittingly here, we jump all the way up to Mortal Kombat 11. And we can't talk about Mortal Kombat 9 because Mortal Kombat 9 was also called Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat. I, I, get, I get why they've called this new game that's coming out Mortal Kombat 1, but also, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, since uh, this episode aired, we have got our new Mortal Kombat game. Uh, that's going to be out quite soon, I think. They're doing a lot of like beta testing on it and stuff. Yeah, there was a beta over the last uh, last week. I've seen Ketchup and Mustard, the two people that will be appearing shortly to do this challenge, playing it, or at least Mustard playing it, and Ketchup offering feedback. But yeah, it, it looks... I say it looks a lot of fun. It doesn't. It looks absolute torture, gore, and misery. But I think I'm going to have a lot of fun playing the single-player campaign. I've played yeah. Street Fighter for the online, and Mortal Kombat, I'm there for the story, because the their stories, story. oh, they're ridiculous. They yeah. are so, so wacky, utterly stupid. story. B-movie nonsense. Time, and also, the, since they discovered, like, time travel and added that in, it just got, I mean, Mortal Kombat 9 is still my favourite, because it was the one that looked at the previous eight games and went, right, okay, how do we glue this together like some sort of PvP human centipede it's so funny like it's it's really cool and I, this is going to end up being uh, one of the better challenges that you get in this uh, series because you know we've had some pro players up and down this show but you want to talk about some pro players we've got playing this game today ketchup and mustard who we had featured on the, the podcast previously ketchup in fact is a, a two-time guest uh, on the show and it is awesome to see them here because they really get it you know like ems and gabby when they're talking to games master they are talking to the producer that's off screen or you know the, the green screen director that's there and shanghai uh, feels like that as well as the snoochie shy ketchup and mustard i feel are the first two we've had on this this bit of games master this era of games master who feel like they are actually talking to the games master yeah they they get it they just get it they are entirely on board they they've also they are a double act like they really do they've got unsurprisingly for for siblings they've got natural chemistry together they and they are have. really really fun and I, I remember seeing them walking around because obviously this was a challenge we saw to be filmed and just the fact that they also had their color coordination going on including their joypads and I'm like these guys know why they're here and they understand as well the value of branding yeah they are taking this seriously to a brilliant degree uh, as well and you know as frankie was saying to us uh, last week they were a huge help to frankie on commentary in explaining what each character does and why what you things you should note about each character because the, i think this is brilliant bits of commentary by frankie here and you can tell just how much info she'd been given by ketchup and mustard to get the best out of the commentary on this challenge yeah i mean we'll get into it when we get into the actual challenge but also they are great at knowing they might be working to an audience that doesn't quite know what's going on there are a few moments where i'm just like that's that's basically making sure that you get the reaction you want ketchup and the red mustard 
and the yellow. Now, you guys, Mortal Kombat pros, right? Yeah, for 10 years. We're twin brothers, we're best mates, we've been playing fighting games together for a lifetime. I'm excited, I think you are as well. Yeah, I think when it comes to the golden joystick, it's less about me wanting it, and it's me wanting you not to have it. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, if any of us wanted to be a great Mortal Kombat player, any tips? If you want to be a good fighting game player, the number one thing people forget about is the block button. Or blocking in general. Not every game has a block button, but people are so fixated on, like, smashing buttons, they forget that defence is in the game as well. Yeah. And the second you figure that out, you're kind of off to a good start. Which characters are you playing? So our favourite Mortal Kombat characters of all time, Cyrax and Sector, red and yellow. They're not actually playable in this one, so I play Rain and Mustard plays Frost. I'm able to do what I've been doing for 10 years successfully with a different character. So there's some transferable skills there? Absolutely. And you? Why that character? He has that sense of style and he's just sick, man. Great character. And like you're right about them, the, the way that they chat, like the sort of the double act nature they have with each other, like they, a lot of it just sort of feels rehearsed, but natural at the same time. They've done this a lot. It's, it's actually what I wrote in my notes. They're so clearly good at the chatting portion of this show because they've done this sort of thing before. It's like fighting game Chuckle Brothers. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, more gothic, more, more well, more well gothy version of the Chuckle Brothers. <laughs> If they hear this, I don't know how they're going to take this comparison. <laughs> <laughs> I do love the the bit of banter they have with Rab. Um, and, you know, they do mention there that their guys, their main characters, are not in this game. Uh, so instead we'll be playing as different characters, Rain and Frost. But, like, I love how Ketchup talks about, and I'm this player, by the way, I should point out, I'm all about the attack. I have got no time for your defensive nonsense. I'm going to throw my punches at you. And if you happen to take me down, then at least I gave you a bit of a decking in the process. But a lot of this fighting game, a lot of pro fighting is about the defense and knowing when to attack and when to stay on defense. I also always know when I am playing like my lobbies online and I end up against someone that's up here, like you can tell immediately what sort of player they are by what they do immediately once the round begins and if they're just twitching backwards and forwards just moving a little half step here half step there i'm like ah i'm gonna lose this one because i'm gonna blink first because i'm a scrubby player and i know that and i embrace it and i'm fine with it but i also know i'm uh i'm gonna lose and i mean they are competitive players and i just wanted to highlight this because i think it is quite the achievement fairly recently is that at the uh, 2023 combo breaker event there was a primal rage championship and i think when we had them on they talked a little bit about primal rage they love primal range both of them made the top eight of that primal rage championship not only that but mean mr mustard took the title yeah he saw off everyone including his brother and he's, I've got this photo of them, and he's holding that trophy. They're both there, and it's just like, nice one, lads. One of my favorite things about them, and I was going to mention this at the end of the challenge, but I'll mention it here. They genuinely don't really mind which one of them is going to win here. Like, they are going in to win, but neither of them are going to be, like, angry that they didn't win because their happiness that the other won is going to supersede that. And they're so happy to just be on this show together. And it's like in the Primal Rage thing you just mentioned then, it's like, they're just, he's just happy that his brother won. And that's so nice. Yeah, they are genuinely lovely, lovely guys. And the one thing I noticed is 
when it came to internet kind of feedback on these guys, the comment section, this, that, and the other, is there were distinctly two camps. One camp was, well, ketchup and mustard is kind of a silly name. Also, pro gamers, should be kids from school, that kind of thing. We've discussed it before. And the other one was just like, either they knew who they were and loved it, or they didn't know who they were and just went, these guys are cool. These yeah. guys know their onions. I was about where you saw this one live, and I felt like you and I had picked our brother because you had gravitated towards uh, Ketchup because of his very, very nice jacket. Oh, his jacket and shoes combat. I mean, if you haven't, I got a note, actually, in my original notes of, if you've not watched this episode, but you're listening to us, go and watch this episode. One, because of the challenge, but two, because there are some stylish mofos on this show. We had shanghai earlier, and they were just like, several different degrees of fabulous and then you got ketchup here who is rocking a red jacket he's a smooth dude oh god yeah i i want this jacket but i also immediately know luke i could not wear this jacket (laughs) i couldn't i i can just about get away with a leather jacket and a denim jacket but this red leather jacket i'm just like no that's not that's not happening and there i was with mustard being like dudes in plaid this is my people. <laughs> Dude's in plaid. Looks like he listens to Slipknot. He is my kind. <laughs> he is my kind. We're going to rain in blood together, my friend. And I thought that they might shy away from the the more bloody aspects of Mortal Kombat when they get into the challenge, because it kind of felt like in the sort of the, the video package when Games Master was setting up the challenge, they were kind of cutting around it here and there. But man, when you get into the fight itself, they are not shying away from it whatsoever. They cut away like at the really like, you know, gory moments, particularly when they do the x-ray bits. Yeah. But for the most part, gore is there on screen. Hey, it went out past 10 p.m. It was post-Watershed. And they are so evenly matched and you, which you'd expect they've probably played 20 million games of mortal Kombat against each other over the years and know how the other plays and this is this is just fun for them this is just fun sparring for them and they're having a great time and they're the fact that they're so evenly matched makes this so so close but there is actually a very very valid tactic in this and it's something i've employed myself with my online fighting game play which is if you get to a certain point in the second round and you're one round up and you think, oh, I'm going to lose, you've got two options. You either keep trying to fight back, maybe use up some of your charged meters regarding, regardless of what the game is, try and get an ultra in there, try and get a super, try and get some sort of you know, tide turner, or you save your meters and you just take the L in that round so you start the third round fully charged and fresh. And yeah. I think me of 10 years ago would not do that. Me now is like, I may as well just let them take this round and start thinking of how I'm going to be different in the next round. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's such cool play. And I wouldn't have thought of doing that either. And that's the sort of thing you learn from watching people who are awesome at this game play it. And the other thing that I wanted to know on this uh, challenge here is that we talked about nostalgia pandering earlier when talking about Ghostbusters Afterlife and how much I, you know, I've got a bit of a, a, a grudge against nostalgia pandering in some instances. And yet here I was, like the Leonardo DiCaprio memes, setting forward and pointing at the screen, be like, I recognize that back backgrounds because the stage that they're on is like this sort of vr like model combat shrine area where it's like a green screen that's got different backgrounds from different mortal combat games so i'm like that's from mortal combat one and then there's like that's from mortal combat two and then i was like that's also from mortal combat one the obviously the original not the new one 
And like, so yeah, I had a great time just like looking out for all the little Easter eggs in the background. But we get to that final round. Frost takes first blood, literally. <laughs> That's one of my original notes and I stand by it. And it's projectile attacks back and forth. And we get a crushing blow. It equals it up. Then it's not. Finish him. And two things happen, one of which is they go with their gentleman's agreement of we're going to end on a friendship. But the other thing is Ketchup makes sure once the animation started to just go, ah, friendship. And now Ketchup is trying to get in, but unfortunately having to block moves in for the kill and can't complete it and Mustard has won. It's time for a fatality. (laughs) Oh, friendship! Because it lets people know, because particularly with that friendship, there is quite a build up yeah. and you kind of, you want to telegraph it a little. So because it's got quite a long build up, it's a sort of thing where if you're not 100% certain that everyone in the audience will know what's going on, you want to telegraph it because then by telling them that this is actually a friendship, not a fatality, if they're going to sound disappointed, they will sound disappointed as opposed to, oh, I thought heads were going to be removed. Now I'm confused. I don't know what to do. It's basically leading the audience. Because that was the mode in the room, as I recall it, because it sets up for finishing. And we all go, we all started, oh, because this animation kicks in. And then there was this moment of confusion where we're like, oh, huh? And then then Ketchup turns around and goes, friendship! And we were like, oh! And then there's just laughter and polite applause. Yeah. And actually, how it comes out in the edit is damn near perfect. Yeah. If the, The confusion is gone. The edit just shows the elevation into laughter and applause yeah. and it, it's a, it's a beautiful moment it is probably one of my favorite challenges of a pure pvp nature that we get in this run Me too. it's the sort of challenge i would love to have seen more of like if we'd got more than three episodes because pro fighters of any level are just it, it's magic some of it i mean there's that one infamous clip of the multi-block on, I think it was Street Fighter 3. I think Alpha 3, yeah. Or it yeah, might be, yeah. it's either Street Fighter 3 or it might be Alpha 3. I've I've forgotten the game, but I remember the moment of just every single blow being parried and the entire room of people behind the competitors losing their collective minds. Yeah. That is how good pro fighters can get in it's the video game the, scene. Just doing the, the parries on the 100 uh, kicks. Yes. Each of the parries and then going into the Super Dragon Punch. So cool. Yeah. That was really something. That was really something. Hey, what did the audience think of that? Do you know what? To be honest with you, I thought they'd done good. If I was in the game, I'd have beat them both. I'd have beat everyone. (laughs) Sorry, man. What did you think about the game? Gruesome, brutal, absolutely awesome. I thought you were holding back the first round and I thought, no, we're seeing Ketchup doing his thing. What was happening there? I mean, look, Rain has got some super impressive combos and stuff like yeah. that, but the reality is Mustard fundamentally is better at MK11. Thank you very much. Shut up. <laughs> we also have a moment in this post-match here that's... I, it feels like it was just set up on the last day. I don't know how much they were doing this on day one or day two, because this sets up the bonus challenge that we also got to see, which was the Tekken 7 fight that Ty takes part in. And it's good to have this in the first episode here where he sets up this, you know, show long storyline, if you will, this series long storyline of Ty thinking he can be anyone that actually is all, that is a contestant on Games Master because he's just like, oh, yeah, I mean, they were good, but I'd have totally beaten both of them. Yeah, no, no worries. No worries. It would have been all about me. And 
then we go to the audience bit and we kind of discussed it. It doesn't 100% work. Find someone and ask them what they thought. They say it was gruesome. It was awesome. Cool. Yeah. That's it. Well, it is what it is. However, it's awesome when ketchup is just like, look, at the end of the day, and the honest truth is, mustard is better at MK11 than I am. And mustard goes like, oh, thank you. And ketchup responds with, shut up. I'm going to die now. <laughs> it's so good. They have got excellent rapport, man. But despite the cool combo, it's not enough to save ketchup. And still one of the coolest dispatches in the pit is just ketchup going into the cupboard smiling and waving and then just wipes the hand across his face and goes stone cold and i i, I remember popping huge for that when i first saw the episode back because obviously we couldn't see it from where we were but i loved that and just watching it again in preparation for this i'm just like you're so cool because you can see us in that shot when he's doing it just as he's moving in you can see us just off to the left because this is where i'm giving my half-hearted flush this might have been when i lost my voice we were i think by this point it was a very long day we'd lost our voices the floor was very hard i think i'd had to lean on you at one point because my toes started to curl with cramp and I, i i was really really struggling and uh yeah i mean this was their last day of filming they had to fit everything in no matter what and I think, was this the last challenge that we saw? No, I think the last one we saw was the Tekken one, wasn't it? Yeah, actually, no, you're right, you're right. But this was, it was getting on there. We'd been stood for quite a while. For a while now, yeah. It's been a long, hard night. Everybody's been so good. We're so tired. We're so hungry. We're just going to phone in a big takeaway. What do you fancy? Yeah. Right, so, all right. You're getting orders, get orders, get orders. Hey, Games Master, what are you eating? I will have Rogan Josh, five chapatis, take a while. 17 special fried rice, yep. 46 garlic naans, 12 chicken commas. And that's it. You know, we've got our outro portion here where they're going to take a big takeaway order for everyone. And the rab leans in to find out what the Games Master's order is. And this is one of the outros we didn't see them film. We saw them film a bunch of intros and a bunch of outros, but this is not one of the ones that we did see. No, you can tell because we're not there. <laughs> we could see. I was, I was going... Did we see this one being recorded? And I look at our side of the box and I'm like, nah, we're not there. This was a different one. But I do love listening to the various things being rattled off by the Games Master, including just randomly a chaffinch. (laughs) And that is going to do it for this episode. Ash, the revisit of episode one of series eight slash reboots. What did you make of it? I am definitely more critical of it now than I was then because hindsight it's a thing that's not to say i think it's bad i still think that it is a perfectly good show particularly given the time scale all of the various production problems some of which we've talked about some of which you know we'd probably need someone to go on the record about because i don't want to just start throwing idle speculation but to put it bluntly licensing games is difficult we've heard about it from other shows we know that that would also apply to games master Producing it during the pandemic, also difficult. And just all of these things together, the fact that they managed to go from no product to broadcast in three months? Three months or thereabouts, yeah, four maybe. Less than that, really, because, of course, it was about a month and a half to two months until they were filming. So really, no time at all. And I think the show they produce is a great start. I'm still a fan of rap. I'm still a fan of Frankie. I think Ty was underused or just didn't quite find his his um 
his stride, I guess. His because role his... in the show, I think, is what he struggles to find. Because everyone we've spoken to, even now, is still really, really hyped on Ty. Seems a very, very charismatic individual. Clear has a lot of natural style, a lot of natural flair, a lot, a lot of, you know, personality that is there waiting to be unleashed. And therefore, it's really sad that you know we may not see another run of these guys together. Because I think that would have been great. I think they would have found a better balance with you know, Rab being the crotchety old man. Frankie being balanced but fair and kind of like, as I said the other week, radiant. And then just tie in the middle, ping-ponging between the two of them. Kind of like, not, not quite kind of a parental, like, child relationship, but definitely older brother and sister, younger brother kind of thing. Or maybe older sister, younger brother, grumpy uncle. I still think it would be better at half an hour. And you could have sort of trimmed off some of the fat. Like, I get why it is an hour. And, I, and I'm not saying that it doesn't work at an hour. I think it might be better if it wasn't. I think it, it might be slightly tighter. Um, not every challenge works. Obviously, I don't like, I'm not a big fan of the, the, the Call of Duty challenge. I don't really get Splatoon either. As uh, fun as though it is, and, you know, that, that is a challenge that is saved by the people that are playing it as opposed to the game itself. But the opening challenge, Mario World is great. The final challenge with Mortal Kombat is awesome. Like, that's really, really good. And the segments that you have in between, you know, like Rab's Review, Educating Grado, I think a lot of it really does still work. Uh, you're, I'm like you. I'm, I'm more critical of it now than I was back then. But I'm not saying that it's bad. I just there are some things that I don't think land as much as I thought they might have done way back when it first aired. I think, I think I agree that maybe it doesn't work as an hour long. But also, I do have this feeling of when you take out the time for ad breaks, particularly now, thirty minutes as a broadcast time period would be too short. And so maybe it's one of those rare shows that needs to run 45 minutes. Yeah. You know, it, it's a real arse ache to, to schedule, but I just think it needs a little bit more breathing room than 30 minutes. Could we have trimmed some fat? Yeah. If we had more episodes in general, then you would only need maybe one of Educating Grado or colleagues in there. Or yeah. maybe you drop Cruising Blast and you just have colleagues at the beginning and then educating Grado between uh, the penultimate and final challenge. Maybe that's how you do it. The one thing I wouldn't like to see more cut of, and in fact, I'd like to see more unedited, are the challenges themselves. We're going to get to that FIFA challenge soon. And we know that a lot of that was cut. Mm -hmm. And I wish it hadn't been, because that to me is a really, really good tense piece of storytelling. So maybe there, maybe there's a middle ground there that, like you know, would meet my kind of desires for pacing and your desires for brevity. And you know, everybody wins apart from Channel Four, who have to go. Ah, oh, crap! We need another forty-five minute show because we can at least work ninety minutes. So it's going to come to the scores, which we didn't do last time, and it's only just hit me now that it's been about three months since we last did scores and. I've almost forgot what like my barometers are now outside of, you know, the, the, the 75, the 88s and all that. I mean, I'm I mean, I'm not sure it's a 90% plus episode. And keep in mind being under 90% is still good. It's not what the kids call mid these days. I've just been learning about this expression recently. It still doesn't make sense to me. I think I would maybe say this is an 88 because there are some amazing moments, there's some great challenges, and also taking into account everything else that went on behind the cameras, what they produced is definitely 
deserving of a DeLorean. However, this is a new era of Games Master, so instead of an 88, I'm going to give it a four-finger special. <laughs> I was also thinking DeLorean, but I'm going to go 85. 85% was the, the score that I, w- I was thinking for this. I, I did have it down as a DeLorean, but I, I, when I think back to it, I, I only really like two of the four challenges. Um, because I didn't really like the COD one at all. And the Splatoon one is saved by its its competitors. But the opening one is pretty good, and the final one's awesome. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with 85 on this. So if 88 is the four-finger special, then the 85 is... I mean, I'm making a, I'm making a hand gesture at Luke. <laughs> well, well, yeah, it's... um. We'll leave that up to the imagination. But anyway, that's all we've got time for on this edition of the show. Thank you so much for listening. You all rule. If you want to find us on social media, we are on Twitter at underconsolepod. We're on Instagram and threads at under.console. And you can send us an email with your feedback to underconsultation.com. And we will be doing a feedback episode for Series 8 Revisited. So watch the episodes, get your feedback in, because we will be reading them out. Very very soon as yeah. well and if you want to get in touch with us in real time if you want to chat with other people including people that were on new games master and old games master i mean basically chrissy two sticks is there but you can chat about retro video games modern video games movies tv pop culture all over on our discord details of which can be found in the show notes or on social media and if you want to see me doing my own video gaming challenges and by that i mean trying to play video games while talking to people you can find us on twitch over at twitch.tv forward slash under console pod where recently i've been playing wwe 2k 23 and AEW fight forever also quake 2 in nightmare mode that was a mistake and very soon i'm hoping to become a japanese train driver and if you want to support this podcast monetarily you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod where you will get next week's episode one week early and ad free at the five pound level and if you're one of our 10 pound backers you get your name read out on the show like these fine folk adam d adam warrington andrew greenwood andy smith arcadia wild bill chris price chrissy two sticks colin conroy david palmer gordon aiken gordon brands gordon dempster harriet mangagel i am cheadle ian roberts ian williams jamie joe mcgonagall joe mitchell kevin Kylie Lawrence Link Mark Matty Boom Misha Nick Bill Retro Fun for Everyone Reese Rich Pemberton Richard Downer Richard Major Sean Selina Simon Super Sexy Dave Fisher The Amazing Cliff Tom Dylan McEvoy Tom S William Cottingham Xanderthal and Zach We will see you in seven days time for episode two of series eight Take care everyone Good night Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods 
for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.